program with breaking news oj simpson has just bought the wwe and he's slashing expenses now back to our program and joining me hawaiian brian the podcasting lion the king of the arcadian vanguard podcast network mr co-host to you he's got biting sarcasm and a cutting wit the great brian last everybody aloha jim a pleasure to be here once again i promise none of either here today on this show is uh Have you been on the internet? (laughs) Who owns the WWE this morning? Who is, who's bought the, the, the company overnight in the undercover of darkness? Word came out overnight that a international investor named Olu Oliami has purchased the (laughs) WWE. He has a deal in place with Vince McMahon and uh, his former executives. Credit from Providence, Rhode Island from a warehouse for $6 billion. But we'll see what happens. This is just a rumor as of this moment. Just a not nothing has been confirmed, except we've seen Olu Oliami moving his personal effects into Vince's office on the fourth floor, but nothing to confirm as of yet. Um, so we got people are now wondering what the fuck the people who do not live their lives daily on the wrestling news on the internet or even the wrestling news they should live their life daily on the wrestling news, but if you haven't heard over the past couple of days, there have been a wide variety of of speculation that was kicked off, what was it, was it Tuesday night into Wednesday? That overnight somehow, and maybe you know how this even came to pass, but I got up the other day, like a lot of people, to the news that Saudi Arabia, the government, the their fund that's worth $620 billion, had uh, had been down to the flea market and picked up the WWE overnight, and everybody was losing their fucking minds and their heads were on fire until about what was it, nine o'clock Eastern when normal business people interact with the world, and then everybody was here. No, actually, no. There's there's no deal. <laughs> there's no sale. What? How did this get started? Well, and let's just say. This doesn't mean that the Saudis may not buy WWE. No, it's just they didn't buy it overnight on Tuesday is what we're saying. Like everybody was saying. You say overnight, it was a little earlier, and I can only say that because from what I've heard and what other people I know have heard directly and what other people have reported, apparently it was a shit show at NXT because everyone was freaking out about this news. (laughs) And they were about to be owned by the Saudis. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a little earlier than overnight. I know for that reason. The, boy, the boys got fucking <laughs> ribbed as well as the people. The people. So apparently what happened, there's a reporter named, I believe his name is Steve Muehlhausen. We've talked about some Apparently of it, it used to be his name before he recently applied to legally change it and moved to a monastery in Tibet. But go ahead. But he's the reporter for DAZN. And I believe when we covered the CM, the CM Punk. DAZN? DAZN, D-A-Z-N. If you ever see that, that's Is how that how you say that? That is how you say that. Who the fuck would know that? I thought they were dazed and confused. DAZN. 
They have the stupidest marketing people ever. That's what I can Just tell you. Just zone. Okay, I would have never known that. But uh, he was zoned out on this, right? Well, yeah. his reporting in the past has been, from what I've seen, pretty good. He was a part of the CM Punk All Out reporting. He had some stuff there that matched stuff I had heard also. And he reported that there was a deal in place for the Saudis to buy WWE. And everyone ran with it, and everyone lost their mind. He has since deleted the tweet. <laughs> Along with his social security number off the internet, and he's moved from his former residence at... Now, this isn't... If I could say two things. This isn't to say that Vince McMahon and his team don't have the idea of an agreement with the Saudis to do a no, deal it's with the not Saudis. A, it's not a preposterous thing as we've talked about, except for the public relations aspect. It's not, they, you know, they have the money, but the question we asked a week ago or whenever it was, was just, you know, something like this that depends on the people and their support in a direct way. Instead of, you don't never see who's manufacturing the fucking toilet paper you bring into your home, but this would be a little different, but otherwise it's not like they don't have the money, but this was reported as a, as a deal that had been done to the point where the boys were up in arms and threatening to quit. And the other thing is it's a public company, even with everything we've seen play out in the last few weeks with Vince McMahon and how his stock, his voting power, everything, the way it's played out, there are still shareholders. Until shareholders hear what they're getting for their shares from a potential buyer, there's no potential buyer. Because you can't just say, I'm buying the company, here it is. What are the shareholders getting? What's the price per share? Are they getting stock in the company that's buying WWE? So until we hear that, I'm not going to think anything's too serious. And by the, and by the way, we're not, uh, there's some guy out there that bought two shares of WWE stock so he could you know, have it for his collection is going to, yeah, that's right. I'm going to be, no, we're talking about, especially the, wh who was the Vanguard and the, the Black Rock and the, those companies that we talked about when we, and it's available on YouTube on our channel, official Jim Cornette, if you guys want to look for it. But a couple weeks ago, when we talked about the breakdown in who owns stock in the WWE. Those are the largest, there's another investment group or two. And then it's, you know, basically Stephanie and Vince and Linda's in there for a little drama. They would especially have a a talk with these investment firms that own two or three percent, and that doesn't sound like a lot until you realize how much that two or three percent still worth before anything could be confirmed, right? Oh, Maven of Wall Street. Listen, years ago I bought Dunkin' Donuts stock when it first was an IPO. And I made a lot of money with that stock because eventually I had no choice but to get rid of it. Dunkin' Donuts announced that they're being sold. The company that was purchasing them offered us, I forget what it was, maybe it was like 80 bucks a share. That was it. That was the price. The shareholders, whatever you started at, if you're still holding on to your stock when the purchase goes through, that's what you're getting from the purchaser. Until we hear that kind of information about WWE, it's not just the big shareholders, it's also the little, it's every shareholder. What are they getting for their stock? But it's I know they have to tell everybody, but the little guys would have to roll with the situation a little more than these big investment firms who might, you know, dicker a little bit, would they not? 
Well, and again, too, we should also bring up there are now class action suits popping up. Well, yeah, and I was about to say, and they're in the middle of getting sued for whatever the fuck, which I try, try to read these. For whatever files. the fuck. Vince McMahon taking back the board well, yes, in a coup. You know, <laughs> That's what it was. But, but I mean, whatever the technical terms are, I try to read these filings, and it's the same with all the 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 stock market reports the public uh, you know announcements the IPOs the SEC i'm thinking they even just a lot of WWE's business bullshit speak there are people that actually have the their job is to write this drivel that nobody can ever understand and that you would have to break down with a fucking pie chart to understand at the end of it and and that's how they make their living i those people have to be going slowly mad. But anyway, so the Saudis, again, you can believe that Vince has a relationship with them because of the past several years, they have had the relationship and you can believe that Vince, once that he was advised by those close to him, remember these key words, folks, that have been telling a little story. He was advised by those close to him to step aside when the scandals came out. And then, by his own words, he said that was bad advice by people close to him, that he shouldn't have stepped aside, that it would have blown over. And then we have heard that Stephanie and Triple H, or what this just over the past week, the reports are that they were against a sale. And a lot of people have said, oh, that means they're against Vince coming back and wanting to sell the company at all. They may not be against a sale. Might they just be against a sale to the Saudis? Is it? Have we determined that they were against all sales or just this one that was proposed or thought about probably by because Vince automatically, he might not, he might not fucking even trust uh, NBC Universal or whatever, but he knows these fucking, he's like Trump again. He knows these people got a lot of fucking money and he don't care how they got it and they keep it in pillowcases and they'll probably hand him a number of them. So I can believe that that's the first thing if he thought, you know what, we, we're going to sell this son of a bitch. They don't want me around. They don't want me to run this thing. Well, we'll sell the son of a bitch and I'll get more money than anybody's ever fucking seen before as well as gold and jewels and potentially some of those, what do they call the uh, the concubines? Is the concubines paralegals. that... Paralegals. Uh, the paralegal concubines over there in the, in the uh, Saudi world. You can believe Saudi he world. wants to put this together. <laughs> Saudi world, that's where, that's where they'll be that's headquartered. That's their theme park, yes. At the new theme park, yes. Check out the beheadings twice a day. So... <laughs> But the point is, that was my question in the middle of all of that hyperbole. Have we determined that Stephanie and Triple H are not with selling the company to anybody or just maybe not selling it to who Vince might have wanted to sell it to? That hasn't been determined. The reporting that we've seen was that they did not, they were not looking for a sale. They were looking to somehow maximize the next rights package. And we can talk about that in a few moments. But they weren't looking for a sale. I'm sure if they were, and maybe with a Comcast, which everyone points to as the logical partner for them, but all of a sudden, I mean, we're piecing everything together from the outside. All of a sudden, the last minute, entering the new year, Vince McMahon throws three people off the board, 
takes three seats for himself. The investigator and the other guy who was in, uh, involved with the investigation both resigned from the board because of this. They cite this. And press pause on one second. It was unanimously voted by the board through documents that have been released that Vince not returned to the board about a month ago. And <laughs> apparently uh, this week when he returned to the board, he was unanimously voted <laughs> the chairman of the board or the executive chairman. Go ahead. His own daughter resigns. His own daughter. She resigned, I believe, before the vote. So she wasn't yes. a part of the vote. She didn't vote for Vince. She decided to not just step down, but to leave, leave the company for the first if time. It, if it had been eight to one or whatever, that wouldn't have been much of a secret ballot, would it? You would have been able to figure out maybe. And again, she's looked, you know, not, not that this is, who knows what she's thinking, but she's on the outside. She still has her stock. So she's going to make a lot of money on this. Would she have, would she have, would she have resigned because she had already uh, uh, announced last year before all this blew up that she was going to take a leave of absence, which she did, and then came back when the shit blew up with Vince, wouldn't she have just said, okay, I'm going back to my leave of absence now, which she have had, and I'll take it one stop, kick it up a notch, bam, I'll emerald this son of a bitch, and, uh, and I'll resign too. Would she have resigned even if she didn't have to fucking come to work? Because she was on a leave of absence and the only place she's ever worked her entire life, the only place she's ever worked her entire life. And if she thought that NBC, Comcast, whatever, Universal, Sony, whoever the fuck Disney is going to about to buy this thing and she owns a bunch of its stock, wouldn't she have said, well, I'll hang around with a job title to collect my check and still take my leave of absence and then get a cash in when the big sale that I'll be apprised on every step of the way. Cause I'm still affiliated with the company. Blah, blah, blah. Why'd she have to resign? Maybe it's also, she doesn't want to get it on her because that's what I'm thinking. The guys who resigned from the board, Manjeet Singh and um, I forget the other guy's name. Ignates. And him. Ignates mouse. They were a part cursor of Mickey. Look it up kids. They were a part of, or Crazy Cat, if you want to look up something really cool, too. That's they, true. They were part of the investigation, and they resigned, and word has since come out that there was more Vince stories, Vince information, that is yet to get out in the public. But Well, if all the people that in, were investigating and investifying it have resigned, maybe that won't get out anymore. Funny how that would work out. Or someone will say, you know what? Fuck this. I'm calling the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> you, you don't know. You don't know how this plays out. You don't. But we also don't know what's going to happen with Triple H, because Triple H is someone who was the heir apparent for a very long time. You could say Stephanie, but really Triple H was the one everyone started pointing to, even Vince. Right. And then the health scare, he was gone. You talk about when Stephanie previously stepped down between Triple H leaving and Stephanie stepping down. And again, she has a sick husband. Vince also seemed to be from a faraway point of view. And also when you talk to people that were either directly in a room with him or backstage, people thought he was losing it. He was surrounding himself with yes men. The TV was unbearable. He all of a sudden put himself back on TV. He main evented WrestleMania against Steve Austin. <laughs> and, and Shane 
would have probably figured somehow into that if he hadn't. Uh, and I love Shane. He's a great guy. He doesn't mean to do anything wrong, really, in his heart. But if he hadn't ingratiated himself so well with wanting to run roughshod over the Royal Rumble, I love that alliteration. It might have been Shane and Vince in a handicap match or in a tag match against Austin and Rock or whatever the fuck. Yes, you brought up X. And also, when Tri when Stephanie had announced her leave of absence last year, Triple H was still sick. He was still at home. Yeah. He was still at home. He didn't come back until the shit blew up with Vince. And we said at that time, you know, is Triple H looking at this like, I got to do this? long term for or am i just you know helping write the ship or whatever if he's feeling great you know applause to him and however long he wants to do it because he may be their you know last chance but so we he's still on the board and he's still in his position the ultimate survivor so we yeah. are relying on him now but well they just had a talent meeting because the meeting the all hands on deck meeting and i guess that that counts on Zoom in this day and age, right? Used we used to have to go to the goddamn office and be there uh, for our brow beatings, but now you can either come in person or you can come by Zoom in order to be bullshitted or whatever. But that was for the employees that they had a few days ago. They just had their first talent meeting. I guess it would have been at SmackDown, right? And That's right, yeah. Triple H was running that and told the told the boys that Vince was back in for the sale and not creative, not saying it in a bad way or phrasing it a bad way, but say hey, Vince is back to help spearhead the strategic alternatives, potential sale where, you know, it's all going to be roses. We're going to make a lot of money and major motion pictures and sitcoms, baby. Um, if he calls he, any of the blonde women into an office, just start yelling, Geronimo, Geronimo, Geronimo and we yeah, will no, run out and get you. It's in the oven. <laughs> the cake is in there for all the 90s WWF office employees. When they yell, the cake is in the oven, all the blondes better scatter. But anyway, but Triple H said at the talent meeting, but he's not here on creative and there's going to be no changes in the way things are operating. To quote The Office and everybody else in the world that's ever said it, that's what she said. Isn't that the same thing that Stephanie said about 10 days ago, three days before she took back her leave of absence and resigned and resigned from the board and left to pursue a life of religious freedom? I believe she did it by name. Nick will still be doing his Nick job and Paul will be doing his Paul job and I will be doing my job and I resign. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I'll be just doing blowjobs. Oh, how dare you? She's an executive. At She's a grand with, officer. At home with Triple Paul. <laughs> um, all right. So anyway, so that was, that was what happened with the Saudis. Hey, can and, I bring up something though? Yeah, please do. The idea that Vince McMahon is rushing back because he has to, it's so important to the company his argument that he be involved in whatever's going to happen because it's imperative that a sale happens before the next rights fee. Not even before. Now somebody will jump on you for that. Not necessarily before, but concurrently with at least is what his at the, at the latest. I think their hope is because here's the issue. What is the rights fee going to be? 
there was a report and a Morgan Stanley analyst concluded that the price tag for SmackDown could not be justified. Fox paid $196.7 million for the 2020-2021 season and lost $134 million. Ouch! Fox paid $208.5 million for the 21-22 season and lost $145 million. Now, of course, it's been pointed out SmackDown does good in the key demo. However, it also gets the lowest ad rate of any television show. So when we're talking about rights fees and Fox paid them a lot of money, a whole lot of money, and you see this, that they're losing money on it, and they're also not getting any ad fees, anything respectable for primetime Friday night TV, what are they really going to get? Is that what the rush is? We better sell this before the next rights fees because it's going to drop and it's going to crush our stock. Well, and and I saw that piece and the figure, I had no idea because that's something that everybody has covered and talked about how much the networks pay for rights fees, for anything, wrestling, football, whatever. Everybody, Nobody ever actually goes and does the, the math and the accounting on what they get for their money and how much return they get on it. And that was startling to me. And I mean, you know, part of it is, I think SmackDown, the WWE has some advertisers that are kind of baked in. I don't know if Fox gets the benefit of all of that, but at at the same time over the last couple of years since they renegotiated their last deal and got these big numbers, a lot of things have happened. For one thing, the pandemic changed a lot of things, whether it be hurt the ratings whether it be, you know, obviously all that it did to wrestling, but also since then and the return to somewhat normalcy, the the numbers are still down probably at, at their lowest point generally ever on all the programs. Again, we talk about this, but also with the economy and the after effects from the pandemic, et cetera, advertising rates are down to begin with, as you and I and anybody who does a program with advertisers knows. And then you combine that with the fact that, you know, goddamn, they're doing this study and they're seeing they didn't necessarily get this, not only this money back, but took a bath. It's it, That's past point where you can call it a loss leader. And I don't know whether there anybody whether they're doing this with football and basketball and everything else too. It may be a lot of these numbers start coming down more in the realm of reason because they seemed just wacky when we heard about them the first time for all these sports. So if that's the case, it, that's what we've been saying. I've said a, a million times. They better be glad they don't have to sell tickets anymore. They might have to start selling a few fucking tickets. When you're looking at WWE and you're baking into the cake. Whatever number you have in your head for the value of the next rights fees deal for SmackDown, for Raw, whatever you think they're going to get for International, whatever all that money is, whatever you think that is, that's baked into the cake, whatever the price tag is. If you're a Comcast, you're buying the company that you're already paying all this money to. So you're not, you can't look at any of that rights fee stuff as any future revenue. Because you're just buying the content you're going to be airing that you're already paying for. So 
the price tag at WWE is going to be interesting. If they get the full rate, it'll be from the Saudis because they have unlimited capital. People are talking about Comcast or the cons or this and that. Take all of their money, the companies and the individuals, and multiply it, and that's how much the Saudis have. So they can so do that, it. That is a great point that if the company that is paying the rights fees buys the company that is getting the rights fees paid to them and the majority of their, well, not even the majority maybe, but a large portion of that company's income is those rights fees. They ain't going to get those rights fees from the company that would then own them because why would they pay themselves? And it may be the majority, actually. <laughs> it may be the majority. Oh, boy, howdy. Well, in that case, can we talk about the other... <laughs> The the merger uh, uh, idea or theory. There are a bunch of now conspiracy theories and and stories going around. Well, this and that'll happen, and now the merger theory, because the people have apparently the people have gotten the idea now that well, Shad Khan owns the Jacksonville Jaguars, and somehow the Jacksonville Jaguars folks, on paper, as they say, are valued at six billion dollars. And are they? I thought the thing we that, saw. Remember, other... that's that's what isn't that what somebody said, or didn't we read that the other day when we were trying to muddle through some of this shit? I thought the Jaguars were just under four million, but you could be right. Billion? No, billion. Billion? A billion excuse me, just under four billion. Okay, no, okay, it was four billion. I'm sorry, whatever. It was three point something billion, and then somebody else said no, it would be more like whatever the fuck. But the point is, billions of dollars for a fucking. The Jacksonville Jaguars are not ingrained in, for you folks around the world that don't understand American football, there's the Dallas Cowboys, right? They've been the top guy, big names. Even when their team's the shits, everybody still knows who the fucking Dallas Cowboys are. Fuck the Cowboys. But you know who they are. Yeah, fuck the Cowboys. Okay, but you still know who they are. The Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, eh. And so then what would the Dallas Cowboys and their franchise and their history and the whole cheerleader phenomenon and the movies that have been done involved, what would that be worth? $25 billion? What, where, who's getting these numbers? But anyway, so the story now is that the cons, because they own all this stuff, well, they could buy, and we just talked about this. Uh, on the last program we did, your show, The drive Through, and then by the time that the clip was even up or out there, that's the latest rumor is that not only are people thinking, well, this could be a thing that could happen, but that Tony has somehow commented as Tony, Tony doesn't comment, Tony blurts, but he's somehow commented that, oh yeah, they'd be open to not only to a merger, with AEW and WWE, but they would be open to the idea of Vince having a role in the company going for it. Like, God damn it. I swear to fuck to you people. I don't know who's going to buy what or what everybody's fucking total bank balance is, but I'll goddamn guarantee you one thing. I will fucking run naked down Broadway in downtown Louisville and fucking bend over when I get to 4th Street Live and stick a fucking kazoo up my ass and honk Dixie the day that Vince McMahon ever works for Tony Khan. 
All right. Well, the only problem may be, I don't know, uh, what if you did all that and you couldn't honk Dixie? That'd be the problem. Well, I'll, I'll, you know, the problem is bending over these days with the bad back and everything, but I'll honk the best version of Dixie that I can. But no, now that we've got what is not ever going to happen out of the way, let's just get to the highly unlikely. The AEW merger with WWE theory, the people are open to a merger. For you classic movie buffs out there, was did was there ever a time, even if you gave the owner of Monogram Pictures $100 million in the 1930s, was there ever a time that they were going to merge with MGM? I would like to merge the Taj Mahal with Castle Cornet. I'll purchase it, have it flown or trucked over here, boated over here brick by brick, and reassemble it next to my house. I'd like to do that. So I'll just, if, if somebody gave you $12 billion, would it, do people not understand? So then Tony doesn't like the writers in wrestling. So if he merges AEW and WWE, so he's going to start writing Raw and SmackDown too. You know he couldn't stay away from it. But I mean, seriously, there's... There are people that still, despite all the evidence and sanity to the contrary, think they paid $40 million for fucking Ring of Honor. I got news for you. I know what they paid, what Sinclair Broadcasting paid for Ring of Honor. And if they sold it 12 years later for $40 million, there'd be a statue of Joe Coff sitting out in the parking lot in front of the fucking Sinclair office up there in Cockeysville. You know, they're actually, they're in the town of Cockeysville, but they use for their address the bordering town next door, Hunt Valley, because who wants to be from Cockeysville? But anyway, people are now legitimately believing this would be a thing. Even that's, Elon Musk just spent however many tens of billions of dollars for Twitter, right? Well, it, who gives a shit about who knows how to run Twitter except if they keep the thing on the air or on the internet or whatever? They got a lot of technological geniuses that do that, but what the fuck? But the idea that that, e that even Shad Khan would in entertain that to give that level of credence to his son's whims when he has to know that they are not in any way prepared to operate a business of the WWE size and scope and reach and whatever, doesn't that have to play into it somehow? You know, again, I'm in a weird position because I had the Wilpons as the Mets owners for years, so I got I kind of got to see the the guy who's successful in one business, being real estate, made money there and decided he wanted to do these other things, and the success wasn't necessarily there. You know, Shad Khan's worth billions. There really hasn't been too much success with the football, with the soccer, or they would call it football, but you get the point. Wrestling is probably the most successful outside <laughs> venture he has. Seriously? I'm, I'm just saying, and who knows how that video game will do. But it is ridiculous, and I think even Shad Khan, I believe that Shad Khan knows that this is already too much for his son to handle, and the idea of putting more 
responsibility, even if it is with the business that he loves more than any other wrestling, putting more responsibility on his plate, that is only a bad idea. And I think even people who are the biggest Tony supporters would tell you it would be a really bad idea for him to have more responsibility, especially the responsibility of running a company multiple times bigger than the one he's already running. And 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 again, we it's rumored and we hear that he still tries to do his other jobs with the very the football and the the whatever the case. But here's the thing: I'm not trying to say again, especially over the past few years with whatever has happened to Vince, and he's kind of drawn inward and and the egg and whatever. But nobody ever said Vince was an expert in everything or was a goddamn Albert Einstein. I've told the story about him calling the fucking cable repairman over. No audio, pal. And the guy comes back in 30 seconds later and says, see on the remote, the mute button. Oh, thanks. Hands him a hundred bucks, right? But here's the thing. Vince was a genius in making the decisions, in finding the people, in setting up the structure. He knew he didn't know everything. Can you, can you imagine? I wasn't even there. I wasn't even there. When Twitter became a thing, and they probably try to tell you, here's what fucking Twitter is, or whatever. But goddamn, he then would make sure that all of his department heads, minions, whatever, they went out and they knew, whoever needed to know about Twitter knew about Twitter. He put a, a structure in place and found people that could explain to him just what he needed to know to make decisions. And he was great at, I've watched him, at asking the five questions or whatever from some schmuck that he needed to know instead of listening to an hour and a half of whatever. Fortunately, me and me and uh, the Artful Dodger and unfortunately Shitstain and a few other people got a chance to meander on, but most people didn't. But again, with Tony especially, he would walk in there and even let's say he kept every employee in the WWE and Titan tower and every wrestler and whatever, but he would start, you, you, you know, you see by what he's doing, it would be a mess. He would want to change shit. And then he would be starting to tell these people what to do. And then he wouldn't have Vince's ability to, at least for better or worse, sometimes he's listened to listen to Kevin Dunn for 40 years, right? But ability to get key people and get them to feed him shit enough to make the decisions about whatever he would be going around trying to explain to them what needed to be done to make it more like the kind of wrestling that he wants. And then their heads would all be on fire. You asked before, so I have the answer. The Dallas Cowboys are actually the What's the word I'm looking for? Not most expensive, most valuable NFL club, $8 billion. Okay, then how are the fucking Jacksonville Jaguars worth half of that? Well, let me just also say the value is $8 billion with $1.87 billion in revenue and $466 million in operating income. The Jaguars are the 28th team on the list out of 32. Their value is $3.475 billion, $471 million in revenue, and $114 million in operating income. 
Well, that's a fraction. So how are they? All right. They're worth half of the Cowboys, but they have a fraction of their income. Is what you're saying to me. Uh, according to this, I'm looking at the composition of Dallas Cowboys value. They have columns here. Sport is $2.9 billion. Market value is $1.8 billion. Stadium is worth $1.6 billion. Their brand is worth $1.5 billion. How much is the Jaguars brand? $138 million. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Um, but fuck the Cowboys. Back to that. But fuck the Cowboys. Back to that. But anyway, so aren't we... Since I mentioned good old Joe Coff a minute ago, aren't we smoking the hopium? Anybody who, even the most ardent supporter of AEW, Tony Khan, the whole nine yards, aren't they smoking the hopium that suddenly, <laughs> even if they did, so, okay, Vince, here's $6 billion, and they shook hands and signed the papers. And I've already said there's no way that Vince would continue on forward in any kind of role Except if it was left as a, if they, you know what, if they pay Vince $6 billion, say, okay, Vince, it's a separate company and you run it, we own it, and just send us a fucking check for profit quarterly, that might happen. But otherwise, Vince in no way, shape, or form is going to work for them. But is anybody just out in the clouds to think that Tony or, or his inexperienced dad, who has no idea what the fuck's in the wrestling business, could possibly operate that and then how they would be able to keep the TV networks and the marketing partners and the merchandising partners and of the of around the world all in line and involved and etc is that is that not somewhat nuts well you hit on the big thing which is TV if we're going with the idea that TV is still a thing that we have to deal with and we expect money from again WCW was worth one thing the day before the executive said that they won't be on Turner Networks anymore, and they were worth another thing the next day. Yeah. And all those potential owners, you know, Bischoff had a team, they were ready to buy it. As soon as they found out there was no Turner TV, there was nothing. There was just a catalog and a bunch of contracts no one wanted to pay. That was it. So with WWE, you look at potential partners, where's the home? Again, we talked about you're paying for the rights fees and all that before, but Comcast? They have a platform. YouTube has a platform. I'm not saying you, anyone's mm. talking about Google buying them, but they have a platform. Netflix has a platform. The cons are having a tough time getting Ring of Honor on TV. Well, uh, well, part, well, here part of the reason they're having a tough time getting Ring of Honor on TV is because they didn't shop it to anyone except the Warner Brother Discovery, the, the, the home network outlets, because that would get heat if they had a wrestling program on competing networks so it, it, let alone one it, on usa network yeah. yeah yeah so the warner brothers people said no we've got enough wrestling we don't want any more wrestling what if if suddenly they find out their partner operates wrestling programs it even under another name under an assumed name on turner broadcasting and tnt how long or on usa and and fox network how long do you think they're going to have a wrestling program on TNT and TBS. They would, so then are you going to move? Are you going to move Raw and SmackDown to TBS and TNT? And then what happens to AEW and, and their Friday night show that nobody remembers is on? 
Again, a lot of questions. We can keep talking about this all day, but it's all fascinating. And it's all just guessing right now. But there are some logical guesses that could be made. And there are some ones that people should know better. Yes. And, and I like to take the piss out of, as they say, the stuff that people ought to know better on. Now, Brian, you got me all fired up right here at the top of the program. I've got to do some nice things here. You've got me all upset. And Why? Well, just, just fired up thinking about all these preposterous scenarios running around. Let's get back down to, to some niceness for once here on the program. <laughs> for once, yes. For once, yes. I want to congratulate somebody. You know, sometimes we have condolences or send out some sympathy or recognize people or whatever that have had tough times. But in this case, this is a good one. Congratulations, Austin. Uh, I don't know where Austin is from, but he's Texas. writing today. No, not. All right. Stone Cold Steve Austin from Victoria, Texas, or just Austin. From I was Te just thinking of the capital yeah, of the state yeah, the of Texas. Capital of the state of Texas. All right. Nevertheless, Austin says, I'm writing today, and this was last week, to let you know that on December 21st, our beautiful baby boy was born at 8.30 in the morning. His name is Chandler Austin, and he weighed in at 6 pounds, 11 ounces, and is measuring in, he sounds like Michael Buffer here, at 18 and a half inches. God, he's going to be popular with the ladies. He's the healthiest, happiest little man and is a great baby. We stayed in the hospital till Christmas Eve night, and it was great to be home with him or uh, home with him for Christmas morning. We have just been loving having him, and it's been so easy as a new father to take care of him. I panicked over a puppy. How the fuck does this taste? It's just so easy. To, you've had these things. You've you've experienced this. Is it ever have you ever said it's been so easy? You know, my uh Youngest daughter. It was pretty easy. Well, fuck you too, then. Um, I panicked over Harley one time. She fucking ran around the office until she was dizzy, but I thought she'd run into something <laughs> and hurt her head, and I took her to have a brain scan. Cost $700. Are you serious? Yes, I am. <laughs> anyway, more on that later. <laughs> uh, well... What happened was she, when she was a puppy, she ran so fast and she'd get up here in the office where she had plenty of room and she'd run around in circles. But as she rounded the far turn uh, near the bathroom, I heard a thunk and I think she bumped into maybe one of my little display cases or whatever, but she was, I thought she'd hit her little head and she was walking sideways and funny. By the time I scooped her up and took her over to the emergency hospital, the the medical facility for little puppies and and they took seven hundred dollars worth of tests on her she just not got dizzy anymore and she was walking fine but anyway uh but chandler no not chandler's the baby chandler's Austin. the baby <laughs> don't kick the baby fuck uh why can i not keep a train of thought here happy birth chandler and congratulations to Austin. You think they're a big fan of the show Friends with the name Chandler? Uh, well, possibly either that or it could be a family name because his middle name is Austin and that's after his father. So you never know about these things. Okay. Could, it could be the real father. We don't know. 
Well, who could All be the right. real father? Chandler? Chandler, yeah. Matthew I'm Perry sure. from Friends is the real father of... No, just some guy named Chandler she met in a bar. Well, no, at least if she's going to cheat, make it someone famous. Well, it is his name really isn't Chandler. That's true. That's to throw him off the scent. See, now we're doing I'm... this poor guy. Congratulations on the birth of Chandler. Listener, Whoever Austin. His father Austin. Austin is his name. Austin is his name, and that's possibly where he's from. I got another one. I know where this guy's from. Robert from Hohenwald, Tennessee. And actually, I just, I'm reading this if for no other reason than to publicize the town Hohen. We used to call it when we ran spot shows there in the Memphis Territory, Hole in the Wall, Tennessee. But it's Hohenwald, Tennessee. And uh, Robert said, well, this is a bad transition, but his first line is, I lost my grandmother at the end of November and your podcast has been a great pick-me-up as I drive for Federal Express in the Middle Tennessee rural area. When I'm out on the road for sometimes up to 300 miles a day in in Middle Tennessee, my God, I can't. Uh, it's like Christmas when a podcast comes out. I love hearing the stories you tell, especially when it comes to all the traveling you do and when it comes to Polynesian wrestling. I grew up in the Samoan Islands from 2007 to 2013, and I remember when Umaga passed away, how many on the island of Tutulia, and I'm sure I mangled that, grieved as he and many others are loved so much there. Football and wrestling seem to be a part of life in Samoa. And when Raw, SmackDown, or TNA came on, me and my friends would be gathered around the TV with their fathers and mothers just to watch. So somewhere in the world, it's in Samoa where multiple generations love wrestling. Amazing. But anyway, Robert from Hohenwald, thank you for writing in and reminding me about Hohenwald. And here's an update, Brian, on something. And I was gobsmacked when I saw this because remember I, I, I patted Twinkle Toes on the head with faint praise over his Tokyo Dome match with uh, Ostrich. Will Osprey? Yes. Yeah, the, that guy. When I said, I, I, I understand with this presentation and the the stadium and the big screen, the dramatic lighting and the pageantry and everything, that maybe the people over there in that culture and or some people would like, this kid looks like a video game, right? I said, so I, I guess there's an appeal to that segment or whatever of the population that doesn't care as much about the wrestling as about the looking like a video game or the pomp and pageantry or whatever. And I speculated that I think that's what Kenny has always wanted to be as a character in a video game. And the only way he could figure out how to make it happen in real life is in wrestling where he gets to do this stuff. That's a, a, a basically a summation of the comments I made, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, well, John from Kansas City. <laughs> I was finished listening to the experience today, and I heard you talk about Kenny Omega's entrance. The look he was going for with the jacket and such, the music, and the wings, because there were some wings on the thing, they did is based off a character from the game Final Fantasy VII, named Sephiroth, S-E-P-H-I-R-O-T-H. 
And you know, the last video game I played was Tetris, right? So I'm not well versed in this, but I got the vibe of, you see the commercials for video games. That's kind of the, the matches and entrance and things that he was doing kind of looked like that. Well, this Sephiroth is the main antagonist from the game and the final boss. The music he used was from a recent remix of the song from the final boss battle against Sephiroth called One-Winged Angel, which coincidentally his finishing move is named after. So after all of that, I have to agree that he wants to be a video game character. You were right about that. I just thought I'd weigh in on those facts. John from Kansas City, he's not even just trying to be a video game character. He's stealing the shit from an actual video game character and an actual video game. I had no the idea. The music and the... I didn't know either. So he's not even an original putz. He's a plagiaristic putz. Final Fantasy VII Sephiroth with the music and the one-winged angel is his... All right. Now we... It, it, Final Fantasy VIII, I have Rio locked in the house. Okay. <laughs> I'm talk about what's really happening. Where's their passport? <laughs> um, Let me go. God. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Look at here. It, it, well, it, it makes sense now more than because I just thought that this fucking guy said, well, what is a, a cool name for a wrestling finishing maneuver? One winged angel is what he came up with. I thought I always, now I, it, at least I know he stole it from something. It, it doesn't, it's not so bad, but yes, I guess it still is. But this is the guy whose tag team finish in Japan was the golden shower. So anyway, um, I wanted to bring that up. Um, if you'd like to hear some of this on a personal basis, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, and who wouldn't, and who wouldn't, <laughs> who in the world wouldn't? Well, I'm doing some cameos again for the first time in a year since last year's St. Valentine's Day massa cameos. Uh, I have not had time, the remodeling, the this and that and the other thing, the massive sales of the WWE. But for this Valentine's Day, get your sweetie a kissin' or a cussin' from me via the Cameo personalized video messages. You can go to Cameo, C-A-M-E-O dot com slash Jim Cornette, or just go to jimcornette.com and Click on the Cameo button up there, and it will take you to the very place where you can place your order on, because these are never on sale except on ex uh, explicit, exclusive, what's the word I'm searching for, special occasions, such as January 28th, Saturday at noon Eastern time, and we're going to limit them to about 80, because that's all that we're going to have the time and the opportunity with Hotchkiss Featherbottom manning the camera to shoot that week. Uh, to make sure that we fulfill everything. So Saturday, January 28th, noon Eastern, they go on sale. Uh, if you history has shown, get in in the first two or three hours, or you may be left out. But I will say anything either of a positive or negative nature to your intended or betrothed or downtrodden or whatever your, whether you like them or don't for Valentine's Day, I'll tell them what you really think. 
And I should mention that the store at jimcornette.com, the Cornette's collectible store, it remains open. We have restocked, re-inventoried, and refreshed ourselves. And now the lazy booking shirts are in. The Cornette face shirts have been restocked. The raw debut pink and red variant figures are down to under 75 now. They will be sold out, so jump in. And uh, otherwise, it's a lovely time over at jimcornette.com. And that's what I got to say about that. Have you heard, Brian? I know you haven't. I've been waiting for this. And I don't know any of the details. I don't know how this happened. I don't know why this happened. I don't know in what universe this could take place. I just saw it on the Twitter, but there was an actual, there was a picture, still frame, whatever, enough to, I know it's true, it's not a rib. Guess who the new authority figure is? in Impact Wrestling, calling the shots, making the matches, putting his foot down, doing the uh, the 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 authoritarian work on the Impact Television program. I didn't realize we were still doing authority figures. I thought that was kind of passe. Um, well, they said it was a way <laughs> until Scott Demore weaseled his way back on. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking with Scott. He's a nice guy, but he got back on the air somehow. If it was any of the usual suspects, I would have heard something. Even though it is Impact, you don't hear much about them. Uh, it couldn't be anyone crazy because I would have heard about it. Oh, it's crazy. Like it, it's, not, it's not Dixie or Russo or no. anyone from the company's history. Um, I don't know who would work for Impact. I, I don't know. I don't know who's available. that would. And, and to be the, I, I can believe this guy would work for, I believe anybody would work for Impact. The question is to be the authority figure that they would want. I got to tell you. Tully Blanchard. No. Santino Morella. Really? <laughs> I did not expect that. All right. I didn't either. Can so he use that name? I, 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 do you think the WWE would even care? Morella? Yeah, I think they would fight for that one. I, uh, but he is the authority. He or the shell that 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 character once occupied is the authority figure. I guess he's going to go around and fire everybody with a green sock on his hand. That's their budget now, apparently. Well, let's get the most important, respected, credible authority figure that we possibly can to lay the law down around here. Oh, and here he comes now. Who? What's next? Nipsey Russell. Nipsey Russell, the commissioner of the NBA. What do you think? Why the NBA? Or the NFL? I think Nipsey's dead. Well, he'd probably still Nipsey's do a dead. Job. You better get another idea in your head. <sighs> anyway. Impact. No, I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, the other thing I'll say, just beyond all this, the idea of Santino Morello, whatever his name will be, as the on air authority figure. At a certain point, especially if your company's never really successful in the sense of the word that everyone typically applies to successful, maybe just do something different. I'm not saying the Ole Anderson, just don't do this anymore, go home. <laughs> you got this TV time, maybe do something completely different. Cause, and I'm sorry for some of the guys that work there that you know don't want to be stuck in purgatory, but impact sucks. No one cares about it. And it doesn't have to be that way. 
but they need to do something different. Do everything different. You know what? I think what they need to do is to get a different outlook. They need to talk to somebody. They need to sit down and have a conversation with somebody, don't you think, Brian? Maybe bounce some ideas off some rational, reasonable human beings. Like, who are you thinking? Like, Bob Costas? Well, they could do that, or, you know, they could call one of our fine sponsors, because this show is sponsored by BetterHelp, as many of our shows are, and we have said many times in the past that if you need to talk to somebody before you make bad or rash decisions, then then maybe that was something that uh, somebody over at Impact should do. Or folks, if you, as, a, as an individual person not affiliated with the, the nutty world of wrestling, if you're just having a problem being you, if life is, gets you bogged down, if you're overwhelmed with stuff, you're not putting on the full court press against your problems and issues the way you want to, it may be because you just can't Step outside yourself and take another look at it to help assess the situation. And working with a therapist can help you get closer to that and empower you to take on everything that life throws at you. So, rather than have a guy with a green sock on his arm making the decisions around your company and around you, you need to take charge of those things by talking to a licensed therapist like the folks at BetterHelp. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp's a great option because it's convenient, they're flexible, they're contortionist practically. It's affordable, entirely online. You just go to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com, and you fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a therapist. You can switch anytime. There's no charge to switch. So, if you want to try it out, visit BetterHelp.com slash J-C-E, and we'll save you some money, 10% off your first month's services. BetterHelp.com slash J-C-E. Ed Nordholm, the guy at Anthem there in charge of, of Impact Wrestling, he could benefit by just, just talking to somebody before he makes these foolhardy decisions, Brian, but that's... That's a, another time. Speaking of people that have been making foolhardy decisions, am I hearing that I've tried to check into this and I couldn't follow it. Maybe you can help walk me through the muddle of this, but there's been headlines on many of the wrestling sites this past few days that Uncle Dave Meltzer has been accused of reporting untrue facts which kind of like alternative facts, I guess. And what has he been accused? He's been accused of, been fed, he's been fed bullshit and he ran with it. It's what he was accused of. And I tried to see what in the world, what have they caught him on? And it was at the, the time that he talked about when they removed Shibata's brain. <laughs> or... <laughs> Do you or remember what he said? I'm sorry to stop you and I hate to yes. laugh about this, but... He literally said no, after... brain removal is hilarious. But you'd never have heard of this before, let alone it happening to Shibata, where they removed his brain and did whatever to it and put it back in his head and sewed him up. I don't know what they did. <laughs> Sometimes he words things in a very unwieldy fashion, but this is he was being accused of downright falsehood based on being fed a line of who shot John by somebody masquerading as somebody else, and he didn't check up on it, whatever. And I tried to... I tried to figure out, okay, I'm going to click on this and see what's going on here. 
and again accused of reporting for he for three or four or five years now he's been saying the kookamonga kids are the greatest tag team in wrestling nobody's going to call him on that um all this other stuff that he said about the seven stars and the eight stars for the one winged angels in the video game in the tokyo dome and nobody's going to call him on that but what they're calling him on is reporting shit about people about somebody that came from somewhere that did something that I've never heard of in my fucking life. I don't even remember him reporting on these people. I've never heard these names. What the fuck's going on here? I've tried to follow this too, because some of the listeners started sending stuff in about this, I'd say about a week and a half, two weeks ago. And some tweets started coming in to you and me around that same period of time. And it's hard to follow in part because it appears that everyone who's covered it doesn't know how to write. <laughs> that's one of the big issues in a way that is easy to digest or figure out what the hell's going on. It appears, and I hope I'm getting this right, that for a period of time, Dave Meltzer was reporting that the booker for Dragon Gate was the wrestler Nosawa. It appears this started when an anonymous email... Not, not, the, not the wrestler Nosella. There's a lot of those. No. It appears this originated when an email went out to several wrestling reporters from a throwaway email address in Japan reporting on all of these things. Everyone else either sniffed it out or just thought it was bullshit. Dave ran with it and continued to run with it, apparently, after multiple people were telling him, multiple experts in Dragon Gate we're telling them there's Wait, this is, there are multiple experts in Dragon Gate. There are. And, you know, quite frankly, considering everything Dave watches, there's no way he could pay attention to Dragon Gate the way someone who actually cares about it would. And those people were telling him, this is wrong. This is all wrong. You know, please put something in the official record, the Observer, stating that I was reporting something that wasn't true. No, Sawa wasn't the booker. Whatever else would need to be retracted. And it became a thing from what I could tell, because Dave has refused as of this point to retract anything. And I don't know if refused is too harsh a term. I'm led to believe that he's going to talk about it on one well, of his he, podcasts. Well, he hasn't come out and said, I'm not going to retract it. He just hasn't said anything about it as of yet, correct? To the best of my knowledge, yes. And it appears that, because uh, someone sent in that he's going to do a show with Brian Alvarez on his podcast, where I'm sure this is going to come up and he'll talk about it. But this has become the big story, and you know, you and I could talk about personal experiences, but other people have jumped on it. Eric Bischoff and people who don't like Dave have jumped on us and said, see, you see, this is what we've been telling you about this guy. You see, he said shit about people that we've never heard of either that wasn't right based on shit that people we've never heard of either said. I guess part of the question is, well, first of all, what do you think of the overall story? I'm taking over the show, I get to drive through. What do you think of the overall story, Jim? And also, well, what should Dave's process be? Because again, he is, for the most part, a one-man operation. He doesn't need to be, but he mostly is. And he has to watch wrestling, report on wrestling, run down stories, hopefully. Hopefully call people up and check on stories, you would hope. This is the kind of thing that you would hope is happening. Should Dave have a staff if he can't do this kind of thing? Well, and... Uh Honestly, you've just pointed out another similarity. Maybe this is why they're kindred spirits between Dave and Tony Khan. Um, and I'm laughing at the whole thing that 
again, this bit him in the ass, uh, you know, of his own volition, because once again, he covers these, these minute Japanese promotions. What can the, the, even in his own newsletter, if they have a big show, the people that write in on his poll for stardom or Dragon Gate or whatever, they're like 74 people. So he's writing about these intricate business goings on in Japan for these small independent companies based on emails that people are sending him from fucking wherever. With and here's the thing: yes, he should. If he's going to report on these little niche companies at all, he ought to have somebody on the staff that, as you said, is an expert of that company because then they'd be able to tell him what the fuck because how can you even keep track of these fucking minute names and the and especially in foreign countries and no I, people are going to say well dave watches all that so there's no possible way there's time in the day unless he's watching it while he's typing which may explain his tortured syntax and verbiage these days but that's the thing that i just found hilarious after all of the, not only the outrageous comments that he's made that's obviously his opinion, but people take as fact that they, these guys are the greatest tag team or this was the greatest match with these guys that he's wrapped up with. That this is the the place he actually gets tripped up and the aha moment for Eric Bischoff. And it's actually, it's about people that nobody really has ever fucking heard of before. And nobody gives a shit. And nobody gives a shit if they did report Nocello was the booker of Dragon Gate. Who in this country gives a shit? 146 people that read Dave's newsletter. But what, he, what he's doing is he's finding people that he, for whatever reason, thinks he can trust or believe or validates the, uh, treasures the opinion of, and just running with the shit because we've seen it. It's in AEW, whether it's about me or whether it's about punk or whether it's about a number of other people. We, you can tell exactly who he's listening to, but that's for opinion. Everybody, I think, can, you know, the normal human beings can tell when Dave's expressing an opinion. But when, when he's just saying, oh, and this guy's booking this and doing that, that goes more into more than opinion. And if it was a company that anybody knew fucking existed, he'd be in trouble. I bet you. What do you think, Brian? You know, again, the question comes down to what is the process? Looking beyond this being Dragon Gate, this could be anything. What's the process of actually running down a story or checking on something as minor as whatever or as big as who the booker is? You know, I've mentioned before there have been a few different times in the past where either something I was directly involved with or something that was about me was in the Observer. I was never contacted one time uh, for any clarification or comment or to say something was right or wrong. Not that it's a big deal or anything, but the first time he wrote about me, it had to be corrected the second time because it was wrong, and then the second time it was wrong. And I just didn't give a shit. I said, fuck it at that point. He's put the wrong name for my company. I mean, just like little things like that, but also... The thing that always got me is years ago when we did Yama pit fighting, all of a sudden I got in the Observer that Paul Heyman turned us down 
to be involved. And I was there when Mike Tadros Jr. first wanted to get Paul involved. And I was there when Paul came to the meeting at Bob Meyerowitz's brother's office on Park Avenue South. And I was there when Bob Meyerowitz hung up the phone because Paul ambushed him with Braverman. And then it got Michael him, Braverman? Yeah, his agent. And then <laughs> it got in the observer that he turned down Yama Pit fighting and other things about what we were doing. Again, a minuscule pay-per-view that doesn't matter in the general scheme of things. But he knew Bob Meyerowitz because he but, worked for him. It, it was it was the side of the conversation that got hung up on that he heard from and not the hanger up that he heard from. Well the point the, the is version. the point is he worked for Bob Meyerowitz and knew Bob Meyerowitz. And I had been in contact with people in his orbit and even him, I think, at that time. Reach out to someone. Is this true? Instead, it was just someone told me this, and here it is in the observer. And now, again, the observer's always been considered like the New York Times or Wall Street Journal of Wrestling. If it's in there, most people think that's it. It's the story, it's fact. That's where you need to get some kind of retractions or something. Or, or you need another person working with you who could check on these things while you're typing up the observer, which is an incredible task. Have one or two interns that could just call people up and Hi, I'm calling from the Wrestling Observer. We want to get clarification on this story. And do something like that. But I don't know. What do I know? Well, and also, uh, Nocella's agents weren't available for comment at that point anyway. You know, the international dateline and everything. Uh, speaking of people who may be soon available for comment. Uh, so now we're hearing FTR's contracts are up in April, and they have already asked for and been granted time off to heal their bodies up from all of the great matches they've been having in every promotion around the world except AEW. And, uh, boy, howdy. I mean, these guys have to make an important decision because it wouldn't have been as hard two weeks ago if the specter of Vince was not around, but do they stay where they have been the pretty much a single or tag team, the best in-ring talents in AEW since they've been there, that have been the most consistent, had the best matches with everybody, also have had the best actual wrestling matches, all three of them, uh, of the year in other promotions. Do they stay in AEW where they've been booked like shit because they were slapped in the face professionally, if not literally, by the buckaroos? Or do they go back to the company that, with Triple H in charge, one would have thought they were already high on that list to get back, and one would already think that they know when their contracts are up and et cetera up there, except the specter of the guy who tried to put them in cat-in-a-hat outfits, is now once again looming over the company. Hey, Triple H didn't do too much to protect them on the main roster either. Well, and that's, you know, so therein lies a conundrum somewhat at this point, because you would have thought they'd be a shoe-in to say, thanks very little, you're welcome even less, fucking Tony, for putting us in the goddamn position to have to fucking be outmaneuvered by children from Cucamonga instead of being, you know, the top team in the company that we deserve to be. So we'll just go back over and yeah. But now, and 
I mean, Bruce, I, Bruce was still there. Bruce was the one that was, I believe, actually, didn't he try to talk them into it? Talk them into it yeah. or excuse it or fucking make excuses for it or whatever the fuck. But he will do, you know, whatever the wind is blowing from the from the top. But with Vince back around, can you trust? Can you trust that at all? Because that was a ridiculous. Or, or are they just because they they're, they don't live like movie stars they're good old fucking north carolina boys and i'm sure they've got all the money they're gonna need for a while do they just go to japan every once in a while and or do the things they'd like to do and not have to put up with this horse shit well that's the question do you want to go back to where they booked you like shit or do you want to go to the or do you want to stay where they want to stay where they booked you like shit let's evaluate this for a second if you went back to WWE, do you think they keep the name Dax and Cash, or they go back to what was it, Scott Dawson and Dash Wielder? I forget what the fucking name. See, was. they're our favorite fucking wrestlers. We can't because they've had so many names, we can't remember what was when. They were the, Dash Wilder. That was his name. Dash Wilder. They were the revival. They were FTR. They were the fucking. I can't remember. <laughs> The point is, this is the problem with the current contract system and there being, you know, imagine in the days of roller games and roller derby, if some of the talent jumped, if they'd had to switch names, but they've had too many names. They've not been focused on their talent has not been appreciated in either place. And again, you know, you hear from the the side of Uncle Dave and the people he talks to, oh, it's ridiculous to think they've been buried because of all the belts they had in companies that don't make a shit in this country. The whole, we've talked about it, the whole thing that was hanging on it was winning the big one there on that TV to go along with the others. That would have got them over in there in that environment, which was most important, and that's why they were blocked. There was a uh, time and a place for the third match. Yeah. And once the Bucks realized that it made no sense for them to win and it wouldn't happen that way. All of a sudden there were plenty of barriers and a six man division and all these other things. The timing yeah. was right there, right? When the exact time was right, FTR were getting hot. People were going crazy for them. That was the time for it. And the bucks aren't even in the tag team division anymore. Why not have a big, big loss on the way out? Well, here's a question. <laughs> How did Wardlow get sideways with somebody and who is that person? Because the same thing happened. He was, they were going crazy for him like Goldberg was coming out. And then two weeks later, uh, and they can't blame him. And then CM Punk was gone, coincidentally enough. Oh, could that, well, that is a coincidence. Think about it. Yeah. People were complaining about MJF. Well, he, you know, he stole Wardlow's spotlight. When Wardlow beat him flat in the middle with his foot on his chest after the fucking power bomb, but somehow MJF's behind-the-scenes manipulation stole that spotlight, so the way to try to eliminate the damage that that may have done in Tony Khan's eyes was to book Wardlow in a program with a fake lawyer and unnamed security, fake security members. That was the follow-up. Let's remember that, folks. And then all of a sudden... Wardlow hadn't been popular. And they, oh, and wait, wait a minute. Last week, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, yeah. Samoa Joe kneecaps him and then beats him and then fucking knocks him out while he's looking at him and then cuts his hair off. 
And Wardlow's revenge is to be determined because Darby Allen beat Samoa Joe one, two, three in the middle of the ring last week on television right after he did it. So uh, point is we could talk about people getting hot. If they're not in the, you know, boys club in the treehouse, they don't get, you know, the, the, the spoils of the game, but nevertheless, so FTR, yes, we know what happened to them and the other side won't admit it. And now, you know, they have a choice to do we go back. And again, it probably wouldn't have been that difficult a decision until the ghost of Vince McMahon showed back up. And he doesn't like tag team wrestling. And they, again, when he was heading creative, they tried to put FTR in the cat in the hat outfits. And... And again, for Bruce to even have the gall to try to talk somebody into that is amazing to me with the, the level of talent that these guys obviously have. I know he works for the company, but still. They wouldn't be so, able to take their music with them. And, it, you know, so they revert back to previous names when they've spent a couple years, you know, building these up. Um, they'd have different, which, again, their music, the homage to the Midnight Express, wonderful sentiment but i'm not you know that wouldn't bother me as much as them again having to change their names and then also if they're allowed to do what they're allowed to or what they can do that's great but if they're again trying to be fit into this formulaic mid-card wwe tag team scene and then you know and <sighs> where the matches are less important than anywhere else, that eliminates their strength. That's why they're perfect. They'd be perfect for Crockett Promotions. They'd be perfect for Mid-South. They'd be perfect for any anywhere in wrestling over the last fucking 75 years, except for the two companies they're in right now, or they're, that are, exist right now. One, because nobody cares about the wrestling in the WWE, and the other because... They specifically have assholes as EVPs that can't put these fucking guys over because it's not their style of trampoline fanaticism. So I th honestly think they they decide to pick their own shots and they do Mexico and they do Japan and they rest in the mountains of North Carolina for a while and, you know, at least not have mental stress. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll see how this plays out. But you know what they're going to be doing? They're going to be sitting there in Asheville, North Carolina, on their big, expansive decks overlooking the beautiful scenery and the, the pine trees of Carolina and the forests and the wildlife. And they're not going to be listening to some fucking hyperactive nimrod enamoring in their ear and chattering at them. Don't and talk about yourself like that. I'm talking about I'm talking about Tony Khan, and they're not going to be listening to some shyster con artist and used car salesman trying to talk them into Dr. Seuss outfits. They are going to be listening to not only the greatest soundtracks of all of the classic music that they enjoy, but also our programs while they're sitting there on the deck sipping the the uh, the, the 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 adult beverages looking at the wildlife, and listening to their Raycon wireless earbuds. That's exactly what they're going to be doing, Brian, and they're going to be enjoying life. They're not going to be yammered at 
yammered and nattered at by these goofy promoters and bookers and shysters and swervers and con men. No, they're going to be listening to us talk about how everybody else is getting taken advantage of all these shysters and con men and the buckaroos and everybody else. And they're going to be able to program that anytime they want on the Raycon Everyday Earbuds that have the optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. We've talked about the It's an amazing gel substance. As a matter of fact, I understand that they're now making heat shields for the NASA space shuttles out of the same gel that they make these optimized gel tips on the Raycon wireless earbuds. And that's why just don't get too close to a heating source because then the gel tips will form uh, a protective barrier in your ear and it'll be impossible to get them out. But on the positive side of things, you will be able to orbit the moon with no trouble. And also, the Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and 32 hours of battery life. Well, that, that's almost a full orbit around the moon, isn't it, Brian? 32 hours? So you could do one loop around the moon from the front side to the dark side and back on the same batteries. And eight hours of playtime, well, for heaven's sake, I haven't had eight hours of playtime for 20 years. That would practically kill a man of my age. The Raycons are also priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands that we will not name because they would sue us. But it's no wonder that Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. Now, you want to talk about functions and you want to talk about features? They've got three customizable sound profiles. I can't remember what they are and they're not written here but there are three of them and they're customizable. You've got the earbud tap functions. That means you can take one of these earbuds and stick it in the side of a maple tree and it'll immediately start pouring syrup. And it's also, there's a noise isolation function. That means that if you press that button, all the noise in the world ceases. The planes and the trains and the automobiles and the dogs and the cats that are that are barking and howling and your your bitchy wife or your nagging spouse or your horrible mother-in-law or your asshole husband for that matter. You punch the the noise isolation instantly, you're in a vacuum. You can hear nothing. And there's also an awareness mode for when you want to come back to reality. So right now, folks, go to buyraycon. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com slash J-C-E. Right now, today, this minute, except listen to the rest of the program first, and you'll get 15% off your Raycon order. They, even if you get five or six pairs of these little doodads, they'll give you 15% off everything. That's the way these people are, and you got to respect that. Buyraycon.com slash JCE, 15% off whatever the heck you want to buy. And boy, I would get 10 pair and just go around and start sticking them in strangers' ears. Have them pre-programmed to listen to this program. Get us some new listeners. We'll even pay a bounty. If you're man enough, whoever's listening to me out there, to take a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds that you have bought with our code slash JCE, go find some some nut walking down the street and force these in his ears and make him listen to our show and he begins listening to it on a regular basis 
I'll give you $25. Feel free to mention the show. Don't force earbuds into anyone's ears, let alone at whatever volume you have chosen. Well, just remember also there's some rules and conditions that do apply. The guy has to listen to our shows every week for a year, and he has to write it down when he does, and he has to sign it at the end of that, and then you get your $25. What is this, Nielsen? Yeah, buyraycon.com slash J-C-E. All right, well, we've discussed a bunch of WWE business earlier, and to end... For that matter, how AEW might figure into WWE's business. Let's talk about how AEW is figuring into their own business. They had a television program this last Wednesday night. But before we talk about that, apparently on the Friday night show that we've given up on, along with most other people, as soon as I got up this morning on Twitter, I saw not only a clip of one of the girls' spots, but apparently, did they have a girls' hardcore match? Ruby Soho, there's pictures of her on television covered in blood. I mean, just her entire head is soaked in blood. And the clip was, I guess, it was Nyla Rose, right? Gave, no, no. no? It was, it Who was, was? I believe it was Willow Nightingale and Ruby Soho. Was it Willow Nightingale? Ty okay. Conti and Anna Jay, yeah. I'm sorry, it was dark because they weren't in the ring. They were over on the stage, and Willow Nightingale apparently is the one. Then I, they're both of similar build. Let me just put it that way. She picks Anna Jay up and runs off the entrance ramp, the stage there, off the side of that to power bomb this girl onto through a table, and onto the floor, and the miscalculation in the equation was that she went too far and basically old Willow's ass went through the table and Anna Jay got power bombed straight off the goddamn entrance ramp, flat of her back on the floor. And if I guess she's still apparently living, was this live? That was taped the other night, right? I believe so in Los Angeles. So they actually showed this. <laughs> Not only did they show that, but they had Ruby Soho in whatever fashion get covered in blood. So are they determined to get that, not only that program kicked off television, but their whole goddamn deal. They could have given this girl a brain damage, spinal injury, whatever. Only by the, as we've said many times, the luck of fools and fucking outlaw wrestlers that more people aren't being carted off on a fucking spatula. But now they're again showing more blood-soaked women on TBS. What are they determined? The ratings have been, the ratings of the Friday night show are 30% of what they started out as. Their Wednesday night show can't keep the lead in of a rerun of a sitcom at 7.30 to 8, primetime adjacency, not even primetime, and now they're showing women being attempted murdered and sliced open from asshole to appetite. Your thoughts before we move on to the Wednesday night program on what the fuck they're doing? Well, to be fair, it was the lead in to Carrie, so I thought it was a good move. (laughs) You know, I fell asleep in the middle of Rampage. You told me I should watch SmackDown because we're going to talk about it, and that got me really tired. 
Yeah. And then there I was, started there watching. There was a match I thought we might find some redeeming value in, but go ahead. And then I started Rampage, and I said, let me see what all the buzz about Rampage is all about. <laughs> and I saw one of the worst segments I've ever seen with the Acclaimed and the Gun Boys. And then I fell asleep. And apparently I missed this match, which was on TV. I don't know if it was No Holds Barred or what. I saw an image of Ruby Soho before I saw the Anna J bump, and I didn't realize it was her. Because her hair was so dark from blood, I didn't realize who it was. The Anna J bump, what do you want to say? Why are they doing that? Why are they having this match for this blood feud that we didn't even know about? Let alone, why is this young woman, relatively new to wrestling, still learning while on live TV in the ring? Let alone taking something like this, I can't speak to Will. Well, the other woman is le- the other the woman that was giving it is learning on live television. And why are they doing this? And who <laughs> who didn't think that maybe having just one table there may not work well considering the well, physics? Who didn't fucking think that maybe we shouldn't have women power bombing each other off the stage through tables to begin with? Because then what do we have to do with the fucking guys? Pull out a goddamn flamethrower. And maybe for our television network partner's sake, we shouldn't have women covered in blood on our outlaw television program that we've been lucky enough to get on national television. I know there's some people that are out there going to say, well, you didn't watch the match. No, I didn't watch the German Bukaki flick to know that it probably wouldn't play on the Home and Garden Network either. This is unnecessary if anybody's done, whether it's done well or not much less when it's fucked up to potentially kill somebody. <sighs> they have no restraint whatsoever. It's, it's a, a bunch of outlaw wrestlers being run by a bunch of people with an outlaw wrestling mindset. Sure, let's let the green girl give the other green girl a powerbomb off the stage, through the table, onto the floor, and blah, blah, blah. I just had told you on the air that Anna Jay is so good looking. Why don't they ever have any close-ups of her? And then they try to kill her on TV. Yes. So let's murder that bitch. Brian Last likes her. You know, I will say this, and we've been talking about it, especially when we do the ratings. I think there's a come to Jesus talk that a lot of people in wrestling need to have about women's wrestling and where it is today and where it works and where it doesn't work. And... I wish there was a well-funded, well-done women's promotion. I don't know if the genie bus thing is the answer. I don't think it is. Where you can have top-flight women wrestlers and younger women learning what to do, a development system, something. But what's happening now isn't working. It's not causing anyone to watch the show. It does the opposite. It drives people off. And then you're just doing stuff like this. Why are they having this match? Why? And, I mean, they put it at the end of the show on Friday. I mean, people like me couldn't even stay awake for it. But still, it's just, there's a real talk that people need to have or a real conversation people need to listen to about the realities of where we are. And I'd like to see if a wrestling show without a women's wrestling segment did okay, because that's the way it was throughout my childhood. But there's no question the... (laughs) A wrestling show without a women's segment would do the same numbers that the wrestling shows are doing now. It, it, no, no better. And except in the case of if you're missing 
a Becky Lynch or a Charlotte Flair now with the renewed push or maybe one or two others, it wouldn't be any worse. It would be what it would be because it's a wrestling show. And the, the, I mean, they lost Twinkle Toes and their rating didn't change. They lost Punk and their rating changed. But, you know, he's probably the only one. And, and everything else will be because that's the audience that's going to watch that wrestling. Let's talk about that wrestling. Because I'll tell you, well, go ahead. But what I'm just going to say, though, but, you know, and again, I, I wish it wasn't this way, but if you look at reality, Women's wrestling was a real rarity. And in the early 90s, Vince tried to do something with a lunger blaze. And even that, there were two women in the division. <laughs> and then when her opponent left, they got another woman. There were still two women in the division. Maybe every now and then, Heidi Lee Morgan would get booked, and there's three. But there's two women. And it wasn't on that much. And obviously, it wasn't doing anything that Vince thought was important, although you could argue about how Vince promoted it and used it or whatever. Yeah, and of course he had a great uh, equal amount of success with the light heavyweight title, but go ahead. WCW, by and large, had no women's wrestling ever after the Turner buyout, leaving out your feud with Misty Blue. <laughs> they really didn't have anyone after that point. No, that was, that was still Crockett. Yeah, I'm saying leaving that out because yeah. it's after the Turner buyout. All of a sudden in the Attitude Era, not about athleticism or anything, but just because of the way men were in the sexy women, the Sunnies, the Sables, and you can go down the list, started showing up on these television shows, and people would tune in to see what was going on with them. Sable drew big ratings. Yeah, Sunny did. It was the most downloaded celebrity on the internet and did ratings, but then the problem became, what do you do with them? How do you integrate two non-wrestlers constantly into the program and you can't have them in the corners of people because they overshadow those people they're in the corners of. And that's when they had the bright idea, well, let's, let's let them wrestle. And then they were going more for the bra and panty fight, diva, stripper, pole, whatever, Laurenitis's, you know, lingerie catalog hires. And it was bleh from a wrestling standpoint, but, you know, they were selling all, you know, Stacy Keebler's legs and the rest of their tits and asses. And then they became PG and they could, they might could sell legs, but they couldn't sell tits and ass anymore. And then we started seeing some really talent, not that they weren't before. I mean, Trish Stratus was great, but then we started seeing a whole different crop of women come in. And by the time of 2013, let's say 2014, when NXT producing a Charlotte and a Sasha Banks and Becky and Bailey and there's a future that you're seeing. It became something else. But the idea that the audience, again, it, it's morphed in several different ways. I don't know if the audience is actually there for it, is my point. Well, the thing is, also, when you got a crop of girls that came along that were very good in the ring, that was helpful. But then it became a standard thing, whereas before you didn't have any women's matches. Well, now that we've had some good women and some good women's matches, now we're going to have that number or more on the program up to 50% of the, t of the, you know, talent time is women. Even if we don't have all those good women, we've just got the women that we can find and we've got, and also it's not new anymore. 
And then you get, and we'll talk about it on SmackDown, but just the whole Liv Morgan, it's ridiculous. And the crowds don't react. I mean, that's the thing. When you look for signs, and again, we're not looking at merch or anything, but when you're looking for signs on the actual live wrestling show, AEW or WWE, leaving out an exciting match with one of the top stars, which are Bianca, Rhea, Actually, Rhea may be a step below top star because of how they're using her. But Bianca, Becky, Charlotte, top tier. Beyond that, the audience is sitting there. They're not reacting to anything. All this is going on. They're just sitting there and watching this. Mandy Rose made more money in one month from her OnlyFans than not only she would ever make from the WWE, but that the WWE would ever make on her. Pretty much. And that's, I'm wondering... If we should have one top quality girls match on on each show, maybe, and then the rest of it, just have a three-minute segment where you bring out five girls and say, here's the girls we got on OnlyFans this week. And then they turn around and walk off, and then all, because the people in the arena ain't giving a shit for a lot of it, but the people at home, in the privacy of their own home that want to view that material... The WWE would make out, the fans would make out, the girls would make out, Everybody, maybe they'd make out on camera, but everybody would make out and we wouldn't have to watch all these fucking matches. They could do it like they used to do when someone would no show. Junkyard Dog will not be here tonight, yeah. but Harley Race will watch the OnlyFans of one of these five women. You pick. And then you could have an OnlyFans champion. Yeah, hold the, hold the hand over the head and they, the audience uh, cheers <laughs> determine the, the winner. Uh, but th- I think that's honestly the thing is now a vocal minority. It may well, maybe they might even be a vocal half of them by this point of wrestling fans. What there are left will uproar somehow if the women don't get their equal time. And that's in, in large part, they're, they're booking for equal time rather than we have the talent to put in this time. That's a, that's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. We got we got to have X number of minutes of women on the show. Well, geez, before it was easy. Now, not so much. I don't know. Anyway, let's talk about AEW on Wednesday night and the opening match we have long awaited for. And I'm going to tell you, there was still stuff wrong with it, but I've got to say this at the top. So maybe people will listen all the way through John Moxley and Hangnail Page, this was the best match that yeah, I've seen either one of them have with anybody else, much less each other. So let's just provoke people at the start and then get into it. And they were in the L.A. Forum. What, what, is, what is it now? Somebody's got the naming rights, the Kia Forum. Um, hot crowd. The crowd was hot. And this is where you, the AEW fans are tons more engaged than the WWE fans. There's more WWE fans. They don't go as fucking crazy as the individual AEW fans. And again, at least Moxley's music, it's real music. People have heard it. It's not the standard fucking generically written even, I'm not even knocking Jim Johnston now, but just generically written instrumentals of on WWE. He's got real music. It's a song you can sing. 
when he comes out through the people, blah, blah, blah. If you like that kind of thing, for the kind of people who like that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing those people like. Hangdale comes out with that fucking off-brand, not country, not really whatever the fuck, elevator Muzak, and his flat-ass personality, and he's he's as flat as 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But... This music ain't that bad. The people pop for it. Well, they pop because they know who it is. I Would you put that on a loop for about 10 <laughs> minutes, have to listen to it, and see what you'd fucking do? Commit <laughs> aggravated mayhem, most probably. Anyway, but at the bell, they started as a fight. And yes, it's two baby faces. But they've they've got the per they've insulted each other in their way, in their fashion over the last several weeks. And I'm thinking, okay, at I'm thinking something's gonna happen. Moxley is working and acting like a heel, facial expressions, the way he's going about things. Think maybe he's gonna lose and he's gonna turn on this guy and he's gonna actually be a fucking heel instead of just acting like one. Maybe that's what's gonna happen. So and Moxley got heat on Page in this match, and Page was in the position where he was fighting back. I think Moxley is the heel. Yes. It just has anybody bothered to tell Moxley or anybody else. Is you know, that's so any and where does Claudio fit in? And what becomes of the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club, those little orphans on the street in the Charles Dickens novel? But anyway, they've got a sturdier railing. Apparently, somebody either talked to them about potential lawsuits or they want to hurt their talent even worse because they're protecting the fans, but this thing looks harder to hit. And Paige made a point of cutting the flip on the clothesline that he fucked up a while back and knocked himself goofy. But anyway, it was a slobber knocker. And they still did the, you know, the forearm trade and everything, but it had more oomph in it than their normal stuff does. They didn't go to the floor constantly. Moxley didn't bleed because he got looked at crosswise. There was not a ton of furniture. This was a fight, and I thought they did a good job. At one point, Moxley hit a really good pile driver and got a one count. So again, they can't. They can't help themselves at some points. And then when the fans started chanting for Paige, Moxley gives him a double bird and mouths fuck you on camera. He's got to do it, doesn't he's he? He's the heel. Well, I mean, beyond the cursing. See, I told you he's a heel, but yeah, he's well, he, cursing on TV. But uh, again, yeah, he's a heel, all right, especially to the fucking, you know, network is trying to fucking hit the fucking button and censor him properly or whatever. And then they were having, like I said, a real good match. Then comes the double bird, and I'm not even talking about to the fans. Yes, the Austin got it, but just this guy is constant with it. He he doesn't have Austin's appeal, and he doesn't have 10 million people watching him on his network. That's how Austin was able to get away with it. When you've when you just got this guy that's constantly saying fuck on your air for no good reason, even and flipping the bird, they're gonna have a talk sooner or later with his. Anyway, what I didn't understand then was that Paige hit his dead eye where he picked Moxley up and dropped him on his head and Moxley just jumped up and hit the ropes and curb stomped Paige and then fell over selling. And I wrote, they've had me till right here. I don't know what the fuck that was. Um, but then forearms and headbutts and a slap fight. And then Paige hit the big clothesline and hit his buckshot lariat. One, two, three. 
and there was a big pop from the people and the guy with the sign that says Uncle Dave Fears Corny held it up and everybody was jubilating. They were jubilating, baby. And then I, and Paige is celebrating and I'm thinking, well, this has got to be, this is where Moxley, fuck you, because they have an afterbirth in every match in AEW, right? And the heels got to get heat after regardless of what happens. But here, no, the doctor comes in, checks on Moxley. Paige walks off. Moxley's confused, doesn't know what happened. So there was no turn and there was no extrapolation of this thing, but it was the best Moxley or Paige match that I remember. For those where they, because there wasn't just ridiculous blood, the furniture, and on the floor, they had a fight and some semblance of a match. What'd you think? I really liked it. I mean, there were things I can nitpick with. I hate Moxley driving the elbows down on his opponent and never looks good. But yeah. And there are little things, but I can't really nitpick. Good match, hot crowd, makes a good match even better. I really liked it. And I've been very positive about Dynamite the last few weeks, and it continued into the opening match on the show. Well, actually, and it continued for a while here. And... And that's a, and here's the thing. Okay, I'll even buy that. Moxley got knocked out and didn't know what had happened and Page won and he's going to come back next week and fucking be mad about it or whatever. But at some point, doesn't he have to actually officially become a heel and and just start acting like one and being programmed that way? Or can we just forever just him be a, just a miserable son of a bitch that doesn't like anybody? But you know what? Look at it on the other side. He's all mixed up after the match. Adam Page walks off slowly, concerned about what's going on, thinking about something. He just went through this thing. We've gone through over three years of the emotional and anxious Adam Page. At some point, he's just got to stop doing that. Well, I know it plays into this a little bit, but after this feud, just have him either be a badass or just be... A family man, whatever it is, just no more of the emo Adam Page. Well, no, I think that's him. I think he is constantly confused and conflicted and doesn't know what the fuck's going on. But we had three years of that, and that's why he's Page is nowhere near over to any significant degree. He's, you know, the people who already are going to be there and like him, like him. And he's been black because he was a drunk and he was conflicted and he was blah, blah, blah. If he can have matches like that, he could be an ass kicker, except that he doesn't have the personality for it. He's He's got a closet full of jeans with butterflies on them, and he's got butterflies in his head, too. See, because you look down the road, and they're building Adam Page up for something. Let's say he does something with MJF months down the road. That's my fear. Oof. It'll be great for a certain aspect, but it'll play into this whole emotional Adam Page thing. And I'm just, that's the thing. It's been over three years of this shit. Like eventually it's got to be like, okay, I've now paid bills. I'm a grown up. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Like it just, it doesn't play well on wrestling to me. Mom, mom helped me move into my apartment. All right. Um, next up, Tony Schiavone in the ring introduces Adam Cole who we haven't seen in forever. And we missed him because he went away and he got a big pop. And the people hit all the music cues. They haven't forgot about it on his entrance and everything. And obviously, because people know he has been legitimately injured, 
they were glad to see him. And remember, what, I can't honestly remember who was supposed to be the fucking heels when he and Kyle and Fish and they, uh, the whole Undisputed Era practically, except Roddy, were involved with the Buckaroos and their camp and ilk. But obviously, he got a completely babyface reaction and should because he's coming back from legitimate injuries and he's got personality and son of a gun looked like he'd either found the tanning bed or some of that cream. Uh, but when he gets in the ring, of course now Tony Schiavone was completely gone. He introduced him standing in the ring. By the time Adam gets in the ring, he's gone. And Adam does the whole thing himself as a standup, but he talked about his injuries He's always been well-spoken. I've mentioned what, how, how natural he was at promos when he was 19 years old. And he did the sympathetic promo. And the fans were chanting Adam Cole, Adam Cole. And I'm trying to think, you know, he's obviously a babyface here. And I'm trying to think, how can they, are they going to be able to fuck up a returning babyface hero with the booking? But anyway, he did the fired-up finish because he had good news and bad news. Well, the bad news is not for me. It's for the locker room because I'm back. Big pop and a fired-up finish about coming back to be the best. New Adam Cole is born. He took his time with this. He delivered the material. There was no attack on him, thank goodness. No interruption. It was real material. It was a great message. You're not used to seeing shit like this on AEW television that doesn't come from CM Punk. So, since Kyle apparently is still hurt, Fish is gone, if Adam's going to be able to come back and he's got this level of support right now and can talk like that as a baby face, again, I say certainly to God they can't fuck this up, but they fucked up his first debut and it never recovered. And then he got hurt, so maybe they've got a second chance at this. But this was everything it needed to be. What'd you think? Well, you know, I'm not the biggest Adam Cole fan, but I thought this was an incredibly strong promo, especially for that hot room. It is the rare chance to get a restart. He's not going to be saddled with Bobby Fish. And Kyle O'Reilly, and that's not meant as a shot at Kyle O'Reilly, just more of something. A shot we, at Bobby Fish. Well, something we've seen for years and years and years. Let's see something different. Babyface Adam Cole. I hate to be superficial like this. Yeah, if he shows up with a tan, if he looks like he at least works out once or twice a week, that'd be great. And say, I'm guy... not talking about since he's been injured, he looked. Pretty emaciated before he got hurt. That was our issue back then. We're That's not right. saying he should have been working out like a madman with a fucking serious concussion. Here would be my concern. A guy who could deliver a promo like that, a guy who could have great matches, although he really needs to be tighter with his fucking thigh slaps. They're really just egregiously uh, obvious. He could do something. That's a guy, imagine a program with him and someone who could talk like that and MJF and someone who could talk like that. Boom, there it is. And you know yeah. what? They're boom. Not, they're not that yeah, boom. Quite literally. Uh, and they're not that different in height, that far apart. So it would look good. It would make sense. It would be good. My biggest issue with Adam Cole and AEW has been he went there and he immediately went into the Bucks locker room. 
And we saw how the booking of Adam Cole went. And I don't think there's anyone, I don't think the biggest Adam Cole fan could tell me, even with the Adam Page match, that the booking of Adam Cole from the moment he got there until he got hurt was good. Oh, no, it was a fiasco. It was horrible. But that's also because of the camp he was playing ball with. You know, we didn't see Adam Cole and CM Punk. We didn't see Adam Cole and Darby Allin. I mean, we didn't see a lot of different things. Maybe we, if we did see him and Darby Allin and I don't remember it, I'm sorry. But I think you want to see him in the mix with different people. If it's just going to be him playing with Matt and Nick again, and then him doing something with Omega again, or him... Whatever it may be, and we hear that O'Reilly's going to be out for quite a while because he's having complications after surgery. This is a real chance for a restart. It's also a chance for a booking restart for him, and I think it depends on who he's going to be working with and and what camp he's going to be working with exclusively. And that's, you know, the thing, that's why I say hopefully he'll be a single now and interact with different people because... They had a chance at the Undisputed Era. They take a top group from NXT that revolved around Adam, but everybody was strong, and they got three quarters of them. And because of the way that they diminished Adam's debut originally, making him the second most famous guy that debuted in that segment, and then the when they got Kyle and they got Fish, they got thrown in with the Buckaroos. And the Undisputed Era didn't translate to AEW. They weren't a top group. And everybody was underwhelming. And then Kyle gets hurt, and Fish matriculates off. And it right now, even if Kyle... And I love Kyle O'Reilly, and I hope he gets better soon. But because the group was not over in their previous run in AEW, it would hurt Cole rather than help him if if O'Reilly was back around for him to team up with because yeah. he he, he does right. need to restart completely the group did not get over because they were booked like idiots and and thrown in with the the clowns this is the rare chance because people pop for his music no matter what and they like him they want to like him make him a baby face but get him away from all that shit if it's going to go right back to the drama of hey before you disappeared you and your friends turned on us for no reason and we never addressed it. Now we have to. No, just ignore it. Just move on. You know, I'll tell you something crazy, but it would work. Adam Cole is a baby face in a program with Miro as a complete heel with no funny business. You could draw some money out of that. Because Cole's, as a, as a baby face, he's incredibly sympathetic in the ring with his selling and his fighting back and his, his expression and emotions. You'd have a big fucking willed a beast on top of him, beating the shit out of him, letting him fire up from underneath and making Hail Mary comebacks. Promos would probably be good. That's something you could put some spotlight on both guys and apply to their strengths and and negate some of their weaknesses. But Do you have to be careful who you book them with considering the concussion history? Well, Jesus, anybody with a concussion history working in AEW, folks, you've already taken about as many risks as you're going to take just by walking in the fucking door. Uh, No, I think you have to be careful with what he does. But if anybody knows how to work and the person that he's in there with is apprised of what limitations he wants to put on things, you know, I don't... Again, who would have thought, well... Let's not put Anna Jay in with Willow Nightingale. You know, a, a fractured skull may be a result. 
Actually, probably a lot of people would have thought that. Never mind. It, it's AEW. Anyway, the following match for the long-awaited tag team debut. I th- well, I think they said Hook had a tag team match with Danhausen or something. We won't count that. But Hook and Jungle Boy against Lee Moriarty and Big Bill Dromo. And I Bill Dromo say, had more charisma. Well, <laughs> no, you know what? You know what? I would have I would have laughed at that until this week. But old Big Bill wasn't half bad here. He would again. They had a little run here on this Wednesday night show. Uh, Lee Moriarty doesn't look bad uh, either athletically or visually. Now that he got rid of that fucking green hair, I like Hook shit. Because it's different and it's snazzy looking without being ridiculous. The, the way he goes into his judo throws and stuff, it's visually appealing, but still works without being incongruous to your subliminally. A lot of times when people do these fancy throws, you can see the other guy fucking wholeheartedly cooperating. and But Hook looks serious about it and carries it off. And and Big Bill had some heel oomph to him. He had some facial expressions, and he was laying some shit in. And I think they saw that these four guys, Jungle Boy was the only one that didn't particularly stand out in any way, and he's supposedly the star. But I think these guys saw an opportunity, hey, you know, we get to be on TV, let's try to get over, and they didn't do ridiculous shit that they couldn't pull off. So they got the heat on Jungle Boy, gave Hook the tag. He made a nice little comeback, bowed up to old Big Bill. And they did a little upsy-downsy, but finally Jungle Boy drop-kicked Big Bill into Hook's grasp so he could suplex him, and the place lost their fucking minds. That the big guy took the... And that's... Again, if you build something right, it doesn't have to be off the roof through a piece of furniture while it's on fire to the fucking... The concrete floor with stalactites. The fact that Hook was able to hit the suplex on the big seven-foot guy after they milked it long enough got him. And then Jung, old Jungle Boy got the snare trap on Lee Moriarty and he tapped out. But this was a good job from Green Guys. Your opinion, sir. I liked it. Let's start at the beginning, too. Stokely, you made a comment about his dress. He came out, he looked professional as a manager this week. I like the match. You know, it's amazing. Jungle Boy and Hook actually are good together. I saw them in a promo last week, and I was like, this is the new 90210 right here. (laughs) These two guys, because they look young enough together. For what it was, it was good. It was Jungle Boy's hometown. Again, hot crowd. Big Bill, you said the crowd went crazy when he took the uh, suplex. Give him credit. He jumped. He got distance on yeah, that. Yeah, he, he, got, he got height and distance and accuracy. Good match. Good dynamite so far. Well, and, and let's follow that. And the backstage stuff, there was Rene Muxlegood with Danhausen and Pockets and the Puddin' Gang, and they brought in Paul Walter, who's apparently an actor. And this was rotten in a variety of ways, but it was short. And then... That guy was the worst character on Cobra Kai a few seasons ago. Is this another one of these Cobra Kai motherfuckers? Well, he's done something else. He won an award for something I haven't seen, apparently. 
So I'm not going to judge that, but he was the worst character on Cobra Kai by far. All right. Well, he was the worst celebrity by far here on this program. <laughs> and then Brian Danielson faces take a shit one-on-one. -on -one. And as a matter of fact, before the match started, MJF made his entrance and came to the ring and cut the promo and called him take a shit. Anyway, he says that and he says, try not to take one in your pants. I need you to win. And then he basically he was being instead of take a shit being MJF's guy and him paying him. They did the promo where take a shit was the innocent pawn in all of this. He's just having a match and MJF is browbeating him a little bit and mocking him and making fun of him. And then. Take a shit speaks back to him in Japanese and MJF mocks that. And old take says, what I said was kiss my ass and people pop. So they have made. And again, this, I don't, all of these things, each one of them individually can be great, but together I don't understand them. MJF cuts a promo on Danielson and the fans. And of course that's as the best part, as it usually is, best part of the show, and he's uh, he's going to be pinning shoulders on mats and banging rats. But they bring the guy out that is going to wrestle Danielson to try to beat him to stop him from getting the match that he desires with the heel champion, and they make that guy the babyface. By the time this whole thing was finished, the people were cheering for and behind old take to beat Brian Danielson, which that's a great way to make a young superstar because they, they got a lot of faith in old take, apparently. But does it fit the what they're trying to do in this situation, which is MJF wants somebody to beat Danielson over the next four weeks so that he doesn't get a title shot. So should the people be cheering for that guy? The first, when this the whole thing first starts out, the very first match in this series, should the people be rooting for another guy to beat the top baby face so he can't get a hold of the heel champion? Do you see what I'm saying here? No, I really like the match. I love the match. However, we got to the match yet. However, the point you're making is the correct one. If we're supposed to want to see Danielson as the big baby face get his hands on MJF, we shouldn't be cheering his opponent. Yeah, and, so I and mean, by the way, that audience is going to do nothing but cheer this guy because look at the kind of matches he has. Yeah. You can do all these things, but just maybe not at the same time. But anyway, MJF introduced these celebrities in the audience. Now, Again, you got to UFC gets celebrities. WWE gets celebrities. We had Kim Jong Il, Freddie Prince Jr., and the <laughs> the guy with the fucking uh, Grammy or the Golden Globe or the Whammy or the Slammy or whatever. I don't even remember who you're talking about now. Uh, Paul Walter. Oh, that guy. Yeah, Walter Hausen. That guy was back. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but he said Freddie Prince Jr. was a Scooby Dooby douchebag. And his name's not Kim Jong-il, it's Ken Jong-il. Anyway, he got to his catchphrase, here comes Danielson's music, Danielson comes down and chases MJF up the ramp, and MJF runs like Bobby Heenan in his heyday. Can so, I stop you there? Yes, you can. 
Should MJF still be that kind of heel who runs in that kind of way from the babyface he's going to be wrestling? You know, Ric Flair would back off or, I, I don't know if he, I would say run, but he would back off from a Dusty or whoever's opponent was, so you knew he was chickening out of fighting him at that moment, but he didn't just run away. Do you think that's appropriate? Do you think that's something he should still be doing? You know what? Here's the thing. MJF is so magnetic of a personality to watch. This is his equivalent of Steve Austin's mud hole stomps. They look like shit, but they work for him. I, I'll buy it. The fucking run. It was... <laughs> I see what you're saying, but just everything he does is he, he, he spins emotions on a dime to fit whatever the fuck's happening. But anyway, he was gone, and we have Take versus Danielson, two baby faces. Okay, now that we've established that, they started off hot wrestling and wrestling, I underline, and the kid is good. I wish that I could actually pull for him and endorse him and praise him. But we have already know if, if, if he comes from DDT. He's one of Twinkle Toes' pals. He's done the comedy shit. He's, there people are, if, as soon as I say anything good about the guy, they're going to send video of him wrestling a child, a little girl, or a doll. And it's a shame because of all of the bad subpar or just joke wrestlers that Twinkle Toes has found or brought or mined out of Japan, whether it be the girls or Nakazawa or whatever. This guy's got size. He moves well. He's got fire. His shit looks good. And he's got a likability for people. But, you know, so I'm I'm conflicted. I can't full-throated endorse him because we know what he's done. And who he's been involved with. And as soon as I do that, people are like, oh, look here, here he's, he's fucking doing a hurricane run on a six-year-old fucking paraplegic girl. I agree with you, but my, where I'm at with this kind of stuff is this. This guy hasn't done anything stupid here yet. And I say yet because I expect it, because I expect it from everyone. Because that goes into my first, my, my other part, which is just about everyone unless you've been in the WWE system from day one, and then it's a different brand of stupidity, just about everyone has been on a show or been a part of something that's just completely embarrassing to wrestling and people who care about it. Yeah, that's true. I think that's the sad state of wrestling. And it is a very sad thing, but... Remember just- I said the last couple of years that I actually took bookings. I had to ask ahead of time. Now, the Invisible Man won't be on the show. We're not doing dance routines. I had to go down a checklist. Anyway, the match, they had a modern-style match, but Danielson it, it can pull that off better than most. And Danielson was giving him all kinds of stuff, but Take was there for it. He was there for it. He, he wasn't in over his head. And they had put the... The fans, as we said, they manipulated the fans to his side. So as it, especially as it went on and he was looking better and better, they, they, well, we're going to see an upset. That's a happening. Or we're just behind this guy. There's, you know, there's one spot. Danielson went for a hurricane run off the apron of the floor. And I think the guy wasn't quite ready for it and they fell bad, but didn't get hurt. But then old take gives Danielson a great brain buster on the floor. That would have 
As a matter of fact, in Mid-South Wrestling, that was a hospitalization angle. It looked like a million dollars, and he just rolled Danielson in and went for a senton, and Danielson got his knees up 10 seconds after being brain-bustered on the floor. A guy with a history of concussions. Yeah, DiBiase disappeared to Japan, but the fans didn't know that, but he disappeared yeah. off TV for a few weeks after that, at least. Yes. So, because they can do these things doesn't mean they should, unless it's an angle to make money. It just Nobody will ever remember that move again. That was in a match. Anyway, the people were behind old take. They exchanged the forearms. And, and if you saw take a sheet, take a sheet, take a shit, whatever. Now I can't even pronounce his real name. What do they say? Though? They go, is it Takeshita? Is that what it is? Takeshita or whatever the fuck. Old take. <laughs> or that. I'll just, I'll just go back to that. Why he not? won the he won the forearm exchange and hit and hit a big clothesline and hit a great wheelbarrow suplex. And then Danielson sidestepped a charge and hit that running knee. What is the, the Bukaki knee? It's not that. And Take <laughs> took an awesome bump. Unbelievable bump. It looked like a mid-cover. One, two, kick. It was a two-count. And I'm saying, wait, what the okay, then they gotta be putting him over. But then Daniels, but then how would that, that screw up the rest of the angle? And Danielson hits the stomps and then gets a cross face and the referee called it because take was already out. Seriously. After what? That's the way I've said Brian Danielson. So he, he's, he's a great talent, but he's so worked up in having the modern style matches that I think sometimes he loses track of how to Make shit make sense and or pop people. Hey, if I could ask you a question, because this one actually was one that uh, I noticed earlier when I looked. People were already sending into the drive-thru. What are your thoughts on that as a finish, the guy passing out in a move? Under the right circumstances, it's in, in Bret Hart and Steve Austin at WrestleMania. That was A1, right? Because that called for, that was the point. This was... We're going to, the business of this match was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here as I run through this checklist. Danielson has to win this match to continue on to win all the matches till he gets MJF. So Danielson's got to win, right? I believe so. But they also want to obviously give take as good a match as possible and get the people behind him and make him a bigger star in this process or elsewise he wouldn't have had been this close and almost beaten Brian Danielson, correct? You would think, but there's no guarantees considering the booking. Well, okay. So then, since Danielson's going to win, but it needs to be with take looking as strong as possible, then explain to me why when take hit the wheelbarrow suplex and then charged at Danielson, but Danielson sidestepped him and hit that running knee and take took the awesome bump and Danielson covered him, that couldn't have been the one, two, three. The place would have popped. What a fucking match. They were up for it. It came out of nowhere. It gave taken out because he was on the offense until the final blow was landed. And at the same time, Danielson wins convincingly, but instead, no. Two count, then stomp the shit out of the guy and get a fucking submission hold on a dead body. <sighs> Modern wrestling. If he wins but, the next match and the match after that with the same finish, 
where he sub not submits, but he the guy passes out in the move. Does it make more sense? Is it more palatable then? Yeah, then just don't have take being the one to be the first one to fucking do that. If you want to have your match where you make take a star, don't have it as part of a match where you or a series of matches where you're gonna have Danielson put a fucking submission hold on a dead body. All of these things can happen, just not at the same fucking time. But it was a good match. Moving along, <laughs> Renee Moxley Good was in the back with Juice Robinson, who sounds like downtown Bruno on helium. Did you hear him? I've never heard him talk, I don't think, before. Maybe once, but uh, okay. Another Japanese favorite. All righty, then the big tag team match that we've all been waiting for that people, for whatever reason, got all convinced, like the Saudi sale the other night, they got all convinced that Mercedes Banks or Sasha Monet, whoever Mercedes the Monet, whatever, that she was going to be the mystery partner here, even though that then they picked Tony Storm to be the mystery partner on last week's TV, and old Hikaru Shida was offended by that, but it's Storm and Soraya against Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. And every fan thinks everything's a swerve now, because that's the way they've been trained. Yes. And every fan also did not seem to agree that it was Soraya's house. Because they had chants for the heels when the baby faces were beating on them, and cheers for the heels when they foiled, especially Soraya. I think they still kind of like Tony Storm. But then they, as it went on, they started booing Storm finally. This wasn't nearly as bad as most AEW women's matches all are because most of their best female talent and Soraya were in it. But again, the heels are the ones the people are cheering for to win. The baby face, uh, baby faces are the ones the people are against. And at one point after the break, when they came back, Soraya screamed, this is my house. And Britt Baker reached her leg up and kicked Soraya right in the face and the fans cheered it. Can you imagine if fucking the fans cheered when, I don't know, goddamn Triple H hit Austin with a sledgehammer while he was about to say Austin 316? So whenever the baby faces were in control, the people were not happy and everything kind of slowed down. And then... It got a little, at the end, they went off on a side road. It, it took forever to set up Britt Baker giving Tony Storm some kind of move off the top rope. They got a two count. They did an awkward four-way with false finishes and saves. And at one point, Soraya and Britt Baker looked lost, so they rolled out to the floor. And then Hater and Storm went back and forth and had a double knockout. And Reba drew the referee, and there she, Sheeta has come down to ringside. Of course, she slides the kendo stick in. The old deal where who did she mean to give it to? Because there's Britt Baker's laying in one place, and, and uh, or uh, not Britt, but who the fuck? No, Britt, the, the, the two girls, see, this is complicated. Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter had the double knockout, and Sheeta slides the stick in between both of them, 
so you can't tell who she was sliding it to, but Britt Baker rolls in and gets it and hits Storm in the back, and then Hater hits her finish. <laughs> and one, two, three, and the fans cheer the fuck. And I've said the fuck finish is what they're cheering. And Sheeta was stunned, but again, if you're going to use the gimmick, why didn't Britt Baker just get in the ring and fucking whack Tony Storm over the head with the fucking thing and she go down and Jamie Hayter cover her? Because that's a heel fuck. When you use the gimmick and then just knock somebody into the heel's finish, the referee's back was turned. I don't, it, But again, the fans chanted, cheered for the heels fucking the baby faces. And Sheeta obviously was conflicted over the whole thing. What are your thoughts, Brian, briefly? I'll keep them very brief. I didn't really want to watch this. I didn't watch too much of it. I was a little curious how much Soraya would do physically. I'm still curious. I wanted to see if Jamie Hayter was going to work with her. I wanted to see what was going to happen here. But... Again, the crowd isn't as into this as the other matches, and this is typically the part of the show where people start thinking about doing other things, and that's what I was doing. Well, the next thing they did, the Jericho appreciators came to the ring, all eight of them. There's now eight people in this group, and they were all dressed like the fabulous ones in Memphis. Like, they just fucking raided Lane and Kern's fucking closet. And... They start crowing about putting Starks through the table. And then, of course, Starks' music plays. And here he comes. He comes out of the stage with Action Andretti alongside of him. And they did a back and forth. And Action got to talk. But I've got to be honest. This was just bickering and just childishness. Action Andretti's trying to get Garcia mad at Sammy because Sammy's supposed to be Garcia's, you know, uh, a mentor, but nothing of import necessarily was said. Starks called Jericho Count Succula and told Gilligan Hager he was a village idiot, but again challenged Hager for next week for a match, and Hager manages a weak rebuttal and does comedy about his hat or whatever, and it, and. He accepted the the challenge by saying next week he was going to slap his face off his face. And the, the segment never got going anywhere, but it there was no technical difficulties and nobody said fuck on the microphone. So that's pretty much all I had for this. Yeah, it never really went anywhere, but on the bright side, it also sucked. This was terrible. <laughs> this was just a terrible segment, terribly thought out, terribly conceived. People are going to pop for Jericho's music, but these segments bomb. They're just awful. Jesus. And maybe that will just name it the karaoke segment where everybody gets to say, but yeah, this never went anywhere. But here's the Garcia should never be on the mic again. Every time he gets on the mic, I think he's less and less of a star. Every time. Well, boy, you're beating me because I've never thought he was a star to begin with. But no, he shouldn't be on the microphone. But think about this. We've had the best match ever between Moxley and Hangnail, right? That was pretty good. Adam Cole, great promo. Hook and Jungle Boy, Moriarty and Big Bill Dromo, they did the best they could for green guys. Danielson and Take a Shit was a great match, even if insane psychology. And then 
you know, it wouldn't, the girls didn't, didn't stink the joint out like usual. I'm sure the viewers departed at some numbers, but so far, besides the booking, pretty good. And then the Jericho appreciators come in. The best thing you can say about it was it wasn't as long as their shit normally is. And I'm thinking this may have been one of the better programs by accident that Dynamite has ever presented. And then they said, and here's what's next. <laughs> it's the best of seven finals. And I thought, you know what? I like this show for the most part, except for the previous segment. It's 9.40 p.m. Eastern time. I know what I'm gonna about to see because it's the same thing every time. There were random empty tables set up around the ring for the Buckaroos ladder match with the Bermuda Triangle. And I just clicked the fucking thing off so that I could get out on a positive note without having anything bad, necessarily horrible to say about AEW. So big surprise. The elite won the best of seven series. Wouldn't you know who won the pony? And I assume it was basically the same tomfoolery that they have done every week for the past two months, uh, for 20 minutes. Am I correct? Yes. But with ladders, but with ladders. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. That was AEW dynamite. Who watched this thing? I heard the overall rating was up, but what was the pattern of ratings? The ratings this week, AEW Dynamite on the 11th of January did 957,000 viewers. So that sounds good. I'm going to say at the top of this thing, I don't know what the competition was on other channels or people's various viewing patterns, but if I was watching a wrestling program, as I was, I don't see any natural place that anybody would have tuned out or said, boy, this sucks until we get to the girls tag and then the Jericho appreciators. But I know that they probably lost a significant amount of people early because they always do because they're getting big bang people that ain't sticking around. But what, what were they? Give us the, give us the scoop. Well, segment one, which was Adam Page versus John Moxley, 1,087,000 viewers. Segment two, which is the end of that match, as well as the beginning, or I guess the entirety of the Adam Cole promo, 959,000 viewers. Ouch! So, okay, that just means that a hundred and something thousand of these people just couldn't find the remote to change the channel, because if you That's were going to watch yeah. the first 15 minutes of this show and... Everything I've said about Moxley and Page, this was not one of their matches you would switch off if you gave a shit about this wrestling program at all. So they just, that's what they're dealing with in this first segment almost with whatever they put in there. All right, so that's 128,000 people they lost. Segment three, the team of Jungle Hook versus Big Bill and Lee Moriarty, as well as the Best Friends and Paul Walter interaction did 993,000 viewers. Wait a minute. How the fuck? Wait a minute. Okay, something screwy. How did they get another 34,000 people to jump back in for, for that? Either did a lot of people... Over, over Moxley and Page? Either a lot of people really wanted to see Hook or Paul Walter 
or Paul Walter Hauser, whatever his name is. Walter Hausen. Well, he's got his own fans. All right, that's an anomaly. Segment four, this would be. The MJF promo before the match, as well as the Takeshka versus Brian Danielson match, 940,000 viewers. The start of that match, at least, let me clarify. Okay, so again, the weakest segment, really, of the show at this point has drawn the second biggest quarter hour, and that ballbuster match with Danielson and Take plus MJF dropped another 53,000. Hey, listen, this is coming right after that Best Friends promo. So you have this actor, you have Danhausen, you have Orange Cassidy of the Best Friends. That was when I walked away and went to the kitchen. How many other people you think did the same thing? Well, that might be a byproduct. Well, the 9 o'clock hour, which is segment 5, the Danielson versus Takeshka match, as well as the Juice Robinson promo, 981,000 viewers. Okay, so they picked up another 41,000, and this is a part of the program where they never pick people up in sizable numbers. So that Danielson and Take uh, hooked them. No pun intended to poor Hook. Well, let's go to 915, which is Soraya and Tony Storm versus Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter, as well as the Eddie Kingston and Ortiz promo. Oh, I forgot. They just they're they don't like each other, and they're going to have a tag match on Friday. I guess. Oh yeah, I watched it on Rampage. The House of Black now kind of walked off with Ortiz, and Eddie Kingston once again is laying in the ring, even though the fans love him. So Ortiz is black now. I I did not say that, and you're not saying that. He's maybe friends with the House of Black. He's a friend of Black. He's not. He's not full fledged. He's just honorary. He's not officially black. Well, let's, let's, wherever we're going, let's get back to these ratings here. That segment right there, 976,000 viewers. That, boy, that is better than normal again this late in the show and not a significant drop at all. Segment seven, Chris Jericho masturbating all over American television. 893,000 viewers. Ooh, so the Ocho. Lost, Ocho, wait a minute, seven. Got Ocho 100,000 viewers. Ocho, he lost. <laughs> seven, I can't do the math. He lost Ocho Quattro thousand people, 84,000. And finally, the last segment, segment eight, the Elite versus Death Triangle ladder match, 907,000 viewers. And they ended up getting 14,000 back from Jericho running everybody off. And that was the second lowest quarter. So the two lowest quarter hours of the entire program were Jericho and the Bermuda Triangle against the Cucamonga Kids. So they actually kept, that is the most amazing rating pattern that they have had since they've been on the air. After the initial drop of people running off after the Big Bang Theory was over, they not only kept most of the ones they kept, but they actually raised them a few quarters until they got to Jericho and the six-man. And then a bunch of people said, fuck it. And that's basically what I did. As soon as I saw Jericho's segment, I said, eh, it's been a good show. I know what's coming up. I'm done. So that makes sense. 
Well, there you have the numbers, Brian. Well, but you, you know what? what? We all have them now, thanks to you. And you know what else we've got, thanks to you and your minions there at Arcadian Vanguard? We have the wrestling news, and we have all these informational podcasts and all these ways to keep up on what's going on, what's happening this week. When you said what people have because of me and my minions, I thought you were going to say herpes. I was worried where you were going there. Another well, fine I, week. I didn't think you wanted to bandy that around anymore after you paid off those people and had those NDAs signed. Another fine, who my Tony Khan? I don't make people sign NDAs. Another fine week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. Of course, the wrestling news. What a great time to get caught up every morning on the wrestling news. Who is Vince selling to today? When you wake up in the morning after dreaming about that all night, get the answer with the wrestling news. Your free daily wrestling news podcast. No fluff, no opinion, no star ratings, just wrestling news. Go to the wrestlingnews.com or look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I heard there's no paywall. No paywall, no clickbait, just the wrestling news. Also want to make mention of something I talked about last week and people really have reacted to it. I am the guest on the new episode of Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. Hear it at suawpod.com. R.M. Solomons? M.R. Not Solomons. Or look, be, or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon wherever you find your favorite podcast. Like I said, it was two hours of me and Brian Solomon talking about wrestling, talking about Crazy Eddie, talking about Godzilla, Jack Benny. It went all over the place. Brian Solomon killing Crash Holly. There's so many things you have to hear about. SUAWpod.com. Or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon wherever you find your favorite podcast. And of course... The 605 Super Podcast, The Membership! <laughs> Go through the archives today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts, The Mothership. All right, Mother, let's talk about SmackDown. We did some Ugh. WWE news earlier in the program, and all. <laughs> this has been such a good show. Why? Yeah, I know. Why well, go we here? won't. We won't take long. There was a couple of things I had some hope for. Um, and we've talked about this, that all the news in the WWE happens that anybody wants to hear about is happening behind the scenes. The, the programs are still what they are, and they're not unprofessional or cheaply produced or low budget. They're just kind of, for the most part, boring. Whereas over in AEW, because everybody's a goddamn loose cannon and nobody really knows what the fuck's going on, there's a higher chance of seeing a train wreck or a paralyzation or whatever. But nevertheless, I wanted to see on SmackDown Gunther and Brown Strongman. Because again, Braun Strowman, for those of you who are new listeners. Yeah, that big guy. Because again... Gunther is the, today, the business's most perfect wrestler. Every match he has is the match he should have with a particular guy. With Ricochet, it was the best match Ricochet's ever had. It made sense. Little guy fighting from underneath, you know, refusing to die, blah, blah, blah. Gunther always looks good. His matches always make sense. His opponents always look better in the process. I thought, well, this will be a challenge because, again, old Brown... 
he's huge. He's big. Did I mention he's large? He's preternaturally massive. And that's how you got to sell him. And that's probably why they cut him a while back because somehow he'd worked his way into a couple million bucks a year. This guy is Andre with nowhere to go. Andre worked for years because he never stayed anywhere. He was oftentimes in the WWWF, but more often than not, he was out around the world appearing here and there. You never got tired of seeing a giant and seeing the strength he displayed, and he was a personality. But if you'd have seen him work every week after about four or five weeks, well, that would have been the end of that. And unfortunately, we've seen Brown for more than four or five weeks. There's ways you can make money with this guy, but he's very limited. Some of the things he can't do, he shouldn't do anyway. But then you shouldn't book him in a position where he needs to be doing them. So many of Gunther's strengths here were negated by strongman's size and or plottiness. And a lot of tech, Gunther, the chops and manhandling people. He can't manhandle a guy this size. It would make sense if he did, and he can't to begin with. You can't move this guy around. That was part of the problem with this match. And they gave these two giant beasts a dumpy female referee. Like, boy, if shit breaks down, she's going to have to lay the law down and maybe grab somebody. Let's not put so, her down. She did nothing wrong. Well, no, but it just looks visually ridiculous to have this monster and this fucking evil Gunther in there with nobody to fucking keep order, but a, a, a double for a fucking Walmart cashier. It's so, and I will recognize that Brown just did a nice work uh, up there in, they were in Green Bay. He was on Wisconsin TV and he was wearing shoes. They're doing a fundraiser for a kid that was killed at the, thing Christmas two years ago in Waukesha when some nut ran his car through the crowd. So that's nice. I'm not knocking this guy, except he's limited. And you can't have this guy working a... T and this was a 20-minute match. Seemed like 30. And But they booked it this way. And, and Gunther was trying as best he could. At first, he was smart and wary of strongman and backing up and powdering out and putting the guy's strength over. He took a bump over the table for the goofy little shoulder tackle he does. And that's fine if you'd have kept it high impact, moving at a brisk pace, get to the meat of the matter and get the finish done. This wouldn't have been bad, but it was 20 fucking minutes. And once Gunther took over, he posted Brown and started working the bad arm that he had attacked to set this match up. It was tough then because it, Strowman doesn't sell much, so he's not very good at it. And you say, well, a guy that big shouldn't sell much. Well, you're probably right, but he was trying to here because he was put in a position where he had to. He's a guy that's hard to move around and hard to do stuff to, and you can't call selling like you call spots in a match. You can't say it when, when the guys, it was stationary heat with an arm bar and or Strowman just down in one spot where he got hit or stomped. It wasn't Gunther's fault, but this match could have taken place in a snow globe. They didn't use any of the ring for the heat. And Strowman doesn't know enough. No, okay, boom, he's selling his arm. Yes, but when he's selling his arm, he's got to roll away 
to a different part of the ring to create some space and try to reach out and and pull himself up by the rope. So then Gunther's on him and he's wrapping that arm around the rope and he's doing it, working on it that way. And then Gunther, uh, Strowman can fucking bear paw him off and try to get on his knees to go the other way to holding his arm to try to get to his feet and Gunther can attack him from behind. And there can be motion to this. Instead, Stroma just laid there. And then finally, what I thought was going to be the comeback, he fires up and he nails both the Imperium guys off the apron and hits a power slam on Gunther and gets a two count. And they went to another break. It's like they're formatting, what did I say earlier in the program? With the uh, percentage of women's matches, they got to the point where they were having 50% of the women's matches because they had good girls. Now they feel like they got to have them, whether they got to have the girls or not. Whoever's formatting this show just said, oh, the first match will get 20 minutes and not didn't take into account who was in the match. And I would usually try to write my televisions and give guys time based on what they could do best and then work it out from there rather than say these two, whoever these two are, they got to fill this amount of time. But anyway, did you notice during the trading when they got up and then at the end and they traded chops, Gunther was selling Strowman's chops more than Strowman was selling Gunther's, which wasn't at all. And that's his thing. So you either, either don't chop him or make him sell him, put him in a position where he's, Weakened anyway, it has to sell him. So Gunther tried to make this palatable. Brown was doing the best he could, but this shouldn't have been this long or whatever. So finally, after all this stuff, Gunther was trying to kick it in at the end. Brown was trying to superplex. Gunther went to the bad arm to block it and got under him and was going to hit him with a hit Gunther or hit Strowman with a power bomb off the buckle. I assume maybe Brown's strongman has never been power bombed before. Either that or he's one of these people that don't like to go backwards or whatever. But when Gunther had him up for the power bomb and he tried to bend over and put him down flat, Brown, instead of kicking his feet up and taking the flat back bump, <laughs> put his feet down first instead of falling straight back. And so he gave him a power bomb to his feet and then to his back. One, two, three. Because of that power bomb, I was so shocked. That was the finish. I couldn't believe that, that, that somebody didn't say do something again. So it Brown strongman was beaten by a botched bump that couldn't have hurt my aunt Lola. And it was a 20-minute snooze fest that Gunther has never been involved in before. So both guys looked worse coming out of this. Um, and again, 20 minutes was the root of a lot of it. But what are your thoughts? You hit on my big one. It was 20 minutes. It felt a lot longer. It went a long time. And there's no good reason. There's no justification for this match need needing to go that long. You would have achieved at least the same more than likely a lot more if it had gone three minutes to five minutes and it just been nonstop and then you went to the finish. This was so long. The finish looked terrible. But I get it. They only have so many guys and they 
Want to give they only everyone... have so many guys. They got two hundred guys. They want to give everyone lots and lots and lots of time. I don't. This was terrible. I, I shouldn't uh, say it was terrible because I like Gunther typically. But no, it, it was terrible, and also grading with what he normally does. But it wasn't his fault, and and a lot of it wasn't Brown's fault either. He doesn't really know what the fuck he's he's involved in here. You can tell, and he's never been put in a position where. Anybody could exert any kind of physical dominance over him, so he's even more green at that than he is at everything else. Anyway, there's a there's a whole thing going on with the bloodline, but we'll we'll recap that at the end. Um Rey Mysterio in the ring for a promo, not his strong point to begin with. <laughs> Talking about how his Christmas was ruined by Dominic and Ripley and etc. Fox bleeped shit. And to make sure that they bleeped it, they bleeped a couple words beforehand and a couple words afterwards. So you know where they stand. So wonder how that AEW-Fox relationship will work out when they buy the company. So Ray wants to enter and win the Royal Rumble, and then the music plays, and here comes Karrion Cross and Scarlet. And has any, would you know that that was the Karrion Cross of six months ago if he walked out and... You've asked me several times recently about his hair. His hair is beautiful. And this time it hit me just how how much less intimidating he is. I mean, he came out <laughs> in his nice outfit. I mean, it's... It, no, no, nice outfit. He's wearing a white shirt and a red tie and a, a leather overcoat. Not like a leather biker jacket, but a nice, stylish leather overcoat. The hair is beautiful. He looks like a well-conditioned stockbroker. They look like they're going out in Long Island City just to hang out. I mean, it didn't look... He needs to be bald again, I hate to say. <laughs> I, I, I think it's too late. I've, I've heard of guys losing their powers when they get their hair cut, but when they grow it back. But he doesn't even look like the same. And he started talking, and I started giving Harley Quinn belly rubs, and I forgot to take notes. But he has no look at all now. He looks like a, a businessman walking down the street if the guy works out in a gym. And then he came and gave a, a speech. It yeah. just that that's the other thing. Once he got on the mic, it was nothing. He used to be intimidating in NXT. I don't see it here right now. Well, and also the delivery. He finally ended up asking Rey Mysterio who he hates worse. Does he hate his son Dominic for failing to be, you know, what he wanted him to be, or does he hate himself for failing to raise Dominic? And Cross is doing the dramatic delivery growl with no real, real behind it. And when he does that, then Ray nails Cross, and they have an awkward fight, and Scarlet trips Ray, and Cross chokes him out. Uh, I was concerned about his nice silk tie that he had on while he was doing all of that. There were four of the girls in the back exchanging scripted comments and bad acting, and little Liv Morgan slapped Raquel Gonzalez Rodriguez de la Molina Jr. So they're going to fight tonight. Zia Lee versus Tegan Knox. This is where they were sweetening some noise, weren't they? The noise sweetening people got in on this one. And again, we've talked about it. There's no sense repeating what we said earlier in the program. I say bring them out for two minutes, and here's who we got on OnlyFans this week. You'll make millions of dollars. So here came Bray Wyatt. 
the door, the lantern, the lights. It's an amazing spectacle. And there was a rocking chair in the ring in a spotlight. And he comes in the ring and sits in the rocking chair. And they did play a, a, a little clip of last week with Uncle Howdy or Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy or whoever the fuck he and. It was five minutes into the entrance before he spoke his first word, which I will not try to recount what he said for obvious reasons, but it was about just ad admit who you are, be yourself, whatever the fuck. So he admits that he is Captain Howdy, Uncle Howdy, but that... <laughs> That would have been better before we saw that there was another fucking guy in the ring next to him that was supposed to be Boy Howdy last week. So Boy Howdy, everybody thought when he first started talking about this, he's working an angle with himself. He's Boy Howdy. Well, then he brings out a Boy Howdy, and then he admits the next week to being Boy I don't know. He's got a match with L.A. Knight at the Royal Rumble, the Mountain Dew Pitch Black match. He mentioned L.A. Knight's name once in this promo, saying when the lights go out, you should run. So apparently it's going to be a dark match of some description with very faint lighting. And, and, and otherwise, we have no idea what the rules are or the stipulations or whatever. And he didn't spend any time at all Getting us excited about it. Did he? This sucks. I don't understand how anyone likes Bray Wyatt. I don't understand what they see in him. Unless you're just into, like, Spalding Gray speeches. I don't understand why you would like Bray Wyatt. This is boring. He never gets physical with anyone. Once you see that, you'll realize why, maybe. Because he's his matches are terrible. I hate this. I, you know, the guy can talk if he was directed and channeled into doing wrestling and having wrestling promos about people he doesn't like that he's going to wrestle and promote them, I bet you'd be great. But I don't know what the fuck this fucking foolishness is. Um, and then more bloodline we'll get to. And then Liv Morgan and Raquel of the many last names is Liv Morgan's getting a push. Is that her settlement? No, oh, stop it. Come no, on. why then? Why? I mean, it, it, it wasn't bad enough just that she's the size of an embryo, but then they made her hardcore and she loves the barbed wire and the breaking the tables and blah, blah, blah. So now they put her in the ring with Raquel, and I thought, my God, Raquel Gonzalez has all kinds of potential. She's got size. She's had some pretty good matches. And I'm thinking, they're going to have her put this fucking little pixie over. But thank God, Raquel won. So hopefully the whole Liv Morgan, hardcore, evil, demented, whatever is over. But... It's just unbelievable. It's ridiculous. They were definitely sweetening the audio here, I think, because it looked like the crowd were sitting on their hands. And then in the back, there's Charlotte and Cruella DeVille having a big old fight slash pull apart with the referees and the security and et cetera. And 
Again, as I think I said a week or two ago about some of the men that did something like this, this wasn't bad. They had some activity going on. It's girls of size and look that you can get into. The fucking guys look like they were doing their best, try to pull it apart, blah, blah, blah. It's certainly better than the AEW's men's backstage fights, but still it happens constantly. It's lost. People just look over it now. Backstage fight amongst girls or guys in a, on a wrestling program. It, Anyway, what I thought was the best of the pro- uh, thing on the program was the Cody package. Boy, this could have been transplanted from a UFC fucking production or from college basketball on CBS or a, a sports presentation just slanted to wrestling. The torn peck, the not only showing him working with it and accentuating what he went through and the shocked looks on the fans' faces, making him a top guy, a sympathetic figure, then the doctor footage, the surgery footage, the comments from Andrews and Birmingham. This was a package that could have been on any professional sports show to to show that one of our top athletes is rehabbing and coming back. So again, it still looks like nothing has changed. They're going to bring Cody back with the dream of following in his daddy's footsteps, winning the title, and boy, they need him badly. What'd you think? Really good video package. You really hope they don't mess things up with Cody if they have a chance here. And here's the question for you. He's been talking about this thing where his daddy could have gotten the belt and they took it away from him. He's been talking about it for at least a few years now on TV. What if Cody doesn't get the belt? Is that like Luger not getting the belt at SummerSlam? Oh, if he don't eventually end up with one, at least they've made noises they're going to split the title up again after WrestleMania or whatever the fuck might happen. You know what? If he doesn't win some form or fashion of the title, he no, he's deader than Kelsey's nuts. He's flattered a plate full of piss, whatever simile you'd like to apply but here's something nobody's thought about because everybody's thinking is is roman going to wrestle the rock maybe it looks like that's in doubt but if there's some way that they could figure two nights at wrestlemania one for roman and rock and the next one for because we talked about that can't be a title match and it wouldn't make sense if it wasn't it doesn't need to be And the other night, if they do some kind of deal with Roman and Cody and come up with some kind of freaky decision where each guy can lay claim to one fucking belt, that might solve a lot of their problems. Is there, is the, is there, is there a finish and a restart and another finish? Is there some tomfoolery? Do the belts themselves become into play where each guy ends up? with possession of one of the belts and or a a victory they can claim. And then you've got the controversy of who the real champion is. You could get some mileage out of that. I'd shoot it down if you want. Only if you have the participants. We've been told, we were told maybe a year ago that Roman Reigns was going to start winding things down, working less shows, and they don't even run that many shows, doing less TVs, he's done less TVs. 
wants to do other things in Hollywood. Is this Roman Reigns winding down? Or is this the end of Roman Reigns for a while? Is he going away for a little while? That's the question I guess we have to ask about WrestleMania and about what they're going to do. Well, I, I don't think... Because then he has to Vince, beat The Rock and then he has to lose to Cody. With Vince McMahon, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. With Vince McMahon around number one, ain't no stars going to be making any less appearances than they are right now. As long as Vince is around, even if he has to pay him, he's trying to sell this thing. Number two, The Rock's almost got to win. One would think just to, because it's going to be a downer if he doesn't, but that's also, he, he can't have a title match because everybody would know well, he's not going to come back and defend the title. It wouldn't be about the title. It'd be about the, the, um, the mega status of the match. At the same time, Rock would want to put Roman Reigns over, and at one point, I would think that would be the thing to do. But at this, as you just said, if Roman's not going to be full time, then maybe make the people happy, and Roman can go in the next night somewhat vulnerable, whatever the fuck. But you know, Cody's going to be there as much as he can be there. I think they've got to get some type of recognition on Cody if they're not going to blow the whole thing off with Roman. If Cody beats, they can still get mileage out of Cody and Roman rematches. So I don't think that would be just, oh, he'll drop it to Cody and you never see him again. He's off doing sitcoms. I don't know. You brought up something before that made me think of this. In the next six months, if you are a top WWE star whose contract comes up, or even an outside. Well, let's just worry about WWE. If you're a top WWE star whose contract comes up, what's your negotiations like with everything happening right now and WWE need, needing to be in a strong position for a sale and Vince in the mix and chaos? In terms of what you ask for, what's it like right now? Well, if I've got the ability, if I'm a top star that has reached the status where I've got the ability to talk directly to Vince, I'm talking directly to Vince. I'm saying, Vince, the whole thing's going to be sold. You need your star power. You need the the ratings. Give, give me the ball, Vince. Give me the ball and a lot of money. And I'll run with it, and I'll make the people in Lithuania want to chip in and buy this company. I th you know, I think now the Brocks and the Romans and even the Cody's to come back and anybody they can put in in a top, top spot. I wouldn't be surprised if Cena drops in a time or two over the next couple months. They, you know, that's the way Vince would go to a quick fix for ratings and interest level is names, star power. So everybody that's got that, all four of them, they're in a pretty good spot. <sighs> Let's see if Vince asked the Undertaker to come back. Well, and that's, even if he might not wrestle, I can't imagine that we wouldn't see him on the programming if times got tough. But anyway, then we're at the main event on SmackDown. Let's get to it, because all show long, the deal was the main event is Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. They're the old friends, Steen and Generico, doing it again. And Sammy at the top of the program had gone to the Bloodline locker room, and Paul intercepts him. Hey, Shmooley! AZ wants to talk to the guys, wants to talk to the Usos, and Solo, and Roman. Oh, they're not here. No, they want you to do this all on your own. 
Oh, okay. Prove yourself to Roman. You know, you can do it. That's the best thing. Blah, blah, blah. And then later on, they had Sammy and Owens argue with each other. Owens is trying to explain to Sammy that the bloodline don't give a shit about him. And obviously, Sammy feels different. He feels like he belongs. So anyway, that was the main event. And they gave him 20 minutes, which, again, the same time, somebody thought it was okay. Well, let's give Owens and Zane the same amount of time as Gunther and Brown Strongman. These guys have worked with each other a million times. They could do fucking three hours, and they'd love to. As a matter of fact, I've seen it a hundred times. I've never seen it with Steen 30 pounds lighter than he was in Ring of Honor and Zane with no mask on. They can both work, but they'll be doing this when they're 70 in their backyard for fun without even spectators because they just love to, to work with each other, sometimes to the detriment of everything else. But nevertheless, you know, much of the match on the floor or the apron, because that's the stuff they like to do. But Zane, again, that buggy whip armed, no definition, but he can pick Kevin Owens up and give him a brain buster on the apron and not kill either one of them. The guy is amazing with the strength that he that Zane shows. And the same thing with Owens as as I mentioned, next to Roman Reigns, he looks like a mattress that somebody pulled half the stuffing out of, and he's fucking pale, he's translucent, but he can move that big bulbous ass around the ring. So, and they they did, an, have you seen now, this was something that Moxley and Page did, and same week, they did the same thing. Zane just out of nowhere, suplexed Owens right on the top of his head, and Owens bounced up to his feet, and clotheslined the fuck out of Sammy, and then they both sold. Well, it's nice to know now that if I take a sledgehammer and hit somebody over the head with it, that they've got about eight seconds they can still fuck with me before they feel the effects of it. So anyway, at, at the point was they were going home, going into the finish, Sammy had dropped Owens on his head again, was setting up for the big kick, and suddenly the Usos and Solo just roll in the ring and attack Owens, and there's the disqualification, and Sammy's like, what the fuck? They're not even, not even supposed to be here. And they hit their finish on Owens and beat him up on the floor, and Solo gives him the thumb, and Sammy is shocked, and he's like, I was supposed to do this, and but he puts the finger up anyway like we're the ones. They had a 20-minute match. It was basically the same as all their matches. They did a lot of shit. Nothing was really stunk. Some of it didn't make any sense. But then cheap DQ, further storyline. Sammy's conflicted now. Oh, golly. The end. Well, that was the end. That was SmackDown. What do you, what do you didn't say? What do you thought of the match? You know, I'm in the minority. I, I have a difficult time watching these two work together because I know they're best friends. And it's hard for me to take anything they're doing out there it's hard for me to suspend disbelief at all with these two working against each other because I know they're best friends. They do have that that strong emotional bond between them. I've seen them wrestle against each other in Ring of Honor. I've seen them in NXT. I've seen them here. You know, I get it's a career-long thing, and like you said, there'll be old men doing this in their backyards. That'll be their last... You know their last match is going to be against each other. You just know it. It has to be. 
But I mean, it's weird when you watch a match that's uh, that where they're laying shit in like this and you know they're best friends. I mean, I know Flair and Steamboat got along, but I don't know. It's, it's weird for me when I well, watch no, these Well, no, I, I, actually, here's the thing. In the, in the old days or the territory days, only the people really in the business knew that the guys in the ring beating the shit out of each other were their were best friends. And best friends had some of the greatest matches. But now every fan in the world knows who all of the wrestlers really in real life like and don't like. So there sometimes is a difference. I see what you're saying. Oh, well, that was that. What do you think of where they're going or where they seem to be going with the bloodline, Sammy and Owens, the storyline? Well, that obviously Sammy is already a baby face because the people have taken to him because of the entertaining way that he's perpetrated all this. And obviously the end goal has to be for, you know, Sammy to become a full fledged baby face and to split off and be his, you know, his own man or in support of Kevin Owens against the Usos. Owens and Zayn against the Usos with this angle behind it will be interesting. You don't think it's, and I'm not saying it should be, you don't think it's Reigns against Zayn? Well, I was about to say Reigns and, not before, if you have Reigns and Sammy before you have Reigns and Owens versus the Usos, you've eaten your goddamn, you know, uh, apple pie before you had your steak and potato. Eventually, we got to see Sammy and Roman, but They've got to work up through first, and and also where Solo fit in this. Maybe is it is it Solo that finally Sammy has enough of because something he does. The Usos then fucking bombard Sammy. Owens comes out, helps fucking Sammy. You got Sammy and the Usos. But what's Roman think about this? Well, finally Roman may have to teach Sammy a lesson in person. Well, Sammy Zayn in this lifetime or this universe is never gonna beat Roman Reigns, but that match would have a lot of interest and they could gimmick it up with some smoke and mirrors where you didn't have to sacrifice Sammy like a virgin to King Kong. With the amount of time they've put into this and this being the main thing and at times the only thing to watch on SmackDown, it's been months and months and months. Is that a WrestleMania main event? Roman Reigns versus Sammy? No. No. It, I, I wouldn't even say that they couldn't do it at the Royal Rumble. That'd, that'd be quick, but I'm I'm not saying another even a secondary pay per view, but it's not. If you if got it's two, two nights, if it's two nights, is that one of the matches for Roman Reigns? Well, only if The Rock and Cody Rhodes have other plans, and then maybe they could work it in. But uh, you know, again, I think. Obviously, they could get a ton of mileage out of the Usos and Zayn and Owens because they're also there every week. And then, you know, Heyman, I'm sure, will have some fucking ideas of how to mix and match these, you know, these attractions. But you're you're going to get Sammy and Roman eventually. I wouldn't imagine it'd be a long program. And I think the odds of Sammy ever winning that match are astronomical, but it would have a lot of interest on one of the major shows. Just, I don't know. I don't see that at WrestleMania. All right. Well, that was SmackDown. Who knows how many people saw it because it's Saturday and we don't have the ratings. And I forgot, this is my show. You were asking me questions. I was about to let you close it up, but instead I shall close the barn door on this horse. Okay, cowboy. Jim, our next question was sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Charlie in Starkville, Mississippi. 
And I'm now muting Brian Last with my special override all the microphones button. And there, and wait a minute, here it is. I've just overridden everything. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the experience until a few days from now on the drive-thru when we report on who owns the WWE at that point in time. For Brian and all the minions, I'm Jim. Thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo My mom's basement. I steal her Wi-Fi and I pay no rent. AEW's cool. We've got indie stars drop back from wrestling school. I choke him at the top of the car. He trained himself in his own backyard. And this is shit everyone should get. Well, everyone. Except Jim Cornette Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Who needs women for hanging round in bars When you can watch the Bucks get seven stars When you can watch the Bucks earn seven stars Dynamite Ever tag team division, haven't you heard? We've got Jerry Gold, Orange Cassidy, and Michael Rio. Like Tony, I do fantasy booking. The title tournament, now we're cooking. And I can wait to hear what Cole has to say when Marcus Stunt goes all the way. Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, don't come in Go away, I'm watching wrestling Go away, I'm watching wrestling Ah, this is wrestling heaven Don't listen to Corgi, he hasn't been relevant since 87 He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick or that Bobby Eaton could hold the camera to either Matt or him. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play Scott the Submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Nero. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on the Sawyer Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer Don't come in, Mom! Don't come in! Are you touching yourself again? No. Did you the Wi-Fi password? Oh, no! Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate 
Seltzer says I'm in the 